This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. folks welcome once again to cinema degeneration we are in full swing celebrating the legacy of george a romero this month and tonight we it's no exception we are going to be doing the original 1982 creep show directed by romero written by stephen king special effects by tom savini john harrison doing the score what more could you ask for i think you'll know that we're going to be coming in pretty high on this but we're going to get into a deep discussion. My Grindhouse Pizzeria regular co-host and comrade, Tom Commissar, is joining us for this review tonight. How you doing, Tom? We're doing wonderful, Cameron. Glad to be here and glad to be here talking about Creep Show. Yeah, the most fun you'll ever have being scared. The perfect fucking tagline for this movie. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited about this one. Of course, everybody loves this movie. I yeah, mean, you either... You're in two camps, you know, as far as I'm concerned, and this might be a little uh, arrogant to me, but I think there's two camps on this movie. You either love it or you're wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I'm you with you. Love it or you're wrong, you know, and that, right, that's... Right, exactly. <laughs> I don't care what you think. You're wrong. <laughs> but right. it's my opinion. I don't care about your opinion. You're wrong. <laughs> right. But everybody's entitled to their... No. 
<laughs> nope, not you. Not on this thing. <laughs> there's certain there's certain movies that you know I will accept uh, no other answers for other than I love it. <laughs> you can like right. it, maybe. Right. You know, but uh, yeah, it's it's the greatest horror anthology ever, and I'll argue that point with anybody. There are a lot great, a lot of great horror anthologies but this is the 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 granddaddy of them all and it's not a nostalgia thing i've seen a lot of them come and go and none of them have the staying power that this has uh and that's just the way it is even creep show 2 i i love it still just not quite to, up to par creep show 3 well <laughs> we'll save that for a show when we're reviewing movies that we don't like <laughs> look at i'm looking at you, scott <laughs> yeah i think uh this definitely besides just being it's it's got nostalgia for me but it's 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 more than that this thing has held up over the years it is one of the great anthology movies ever made it's one of the best i mean if not up there as the best i don't know i can't name another one that, that's right i mean there's tons of them that you know great cool but this one's this one hits every note and uh, the thing about this one that is this 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 particular you know creep show uh the the original here is um is talking about nostalgia i uh when this came out I, I lived in ventura for a little while ventura california and i had a couple of buddies of mine that we weren't in an official band we were just like you know they were the guitar player was this the fucking most badass guitar player ever uh, a guy named jeff and uh and he uh, he was in a band called Conspiracy. I wasn't in that band. I was in a version of it later, but that's another story. But um, he um, he uh, uh, was like the that band was like the hottest band around. Anyway, he was a good friend with my buddy Pete. Pete uh, was just learning how to play drums and and learning uh, and getting really good at it and stuff like that. So we all kind of lived around each other and we kind of hung out. And, uh, and, you know, we're all just like, we'd listen to our, you know, Motorhead records that Pete had this great collection. Long story short, I'm rambling, but we used right. to, we used to just get together and jam, you know, in Pete's garage. And I, and so one afternoon we're jamming, you know, all day and like all afternoon and shit like that. And we decided to go see Creep Show, And it has and the memory especially special with me is I remember it was just the three of us. We went to Creep Show at the Ventura drive-in theater. And it was opening night. I remember we went there. It was like so cool. And I remember pulling in the theater and, you know, we're all sitting there, you know, you know, doing what you do, what boy, what young men do, uh, sitting there <laughs> partaking Probably and vibing uh, and something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, alcoholic beverages and whatever. Uh, and uh, that things. used to be a thing, you know, I mean, like when movies were an event, it's this. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, so we, and, yeah, it was an event. It was a big deal. Everybody was talking about this movie and we were like, yeah, that's fucking fun. So we were jamming all day, get in the car. We go down there and watch it and night. It's nighttime now we're sitting there and I remember where this, it comes on and, uh, I'm going to, we can go back a little bit, but I'm going to just jump to the opening just be just for my story here. And, uh, just because every time I think of this movie, I think of this moment, I remember, just the one sh shot in the beginning, uh, in the prologue, uh, where the young, the Billy Hopkins uh, thing and, and Tom Atkins. Um, yeah, it's uh, worst dad, dad of the yeah, year nomination. Of the year. Well, anyway, when they're doing that thing, and then he, the the boy Billy's up in his room. He's got the comic book, and then the creep 
comes up to the window and he's it's live action at that moment. It's the live, it's the live, you know. Live action creep looks so good. Yeah, he does. It's it's amazing. And you're looking at it, and then and then I you know I want to talk about all that here, but just for the memory for the nostalgia and memory lane thing for me, I I remember I can remember dude. It's been like what thirty eight years or something. I remember like it was yesterday. We're sitting there. And when it remember when it fades, the creep turns into the cartoon. Yeah, and it turns into animation. Yes, yeah, it yes. turns into the animation is what I mean. It turned into the animated skeleton, you know, the creep. And then they turned that. And I remember we're howling. We're going, Whoa, yeah! And it was and everybody in the cars were like, yeah! It was like the coolest thing. Everybody, it was like everybody, it was in unison. It wasn't like annoying idiots on their cell phones. It was like we're all watching this movie. You just going, yeah, you know when it, when he turns animated, and it was like, oh, we're here. this is gonna be a fucking killer movie. We're all like, yeah, it was. I remember that. I, it gives me it. It, it warms me because I because because uh, uh, about a year later, uh, Jeff was actually killed in an accident, and oh. uh, and uh, he was a great dude, and I love him. He was one of the best guitar players ever with. But I remember that memory. Uh, that memory, I always think of Creepshow, and I remember that night sitting there, and that night we're all just the three of us are in the car, and that's what's great about these movies—you look back at them, and those the memories that you have with your friends—they're so important. Even us talking about this stuff, you know, you and I didn't grow up together, but we all got these memories yeah. attached to these movies. And what's so wonderful about it is the is where you watch them with, even if you watch it in your house, you know, even just you know, you, you know, you're just sitting there. You know, with your friends watching it, it's like it's the memories that are attached to it, and that's the good times. That's what we that's what we love about this stuff. That's why when we go to conventions and that, you know, and like all stuff, we love, we're attached to this stuff because we have these cool memories of like besides the movies, just loving loving the movies. It's just all the cool stuff with it, everything in it, you know, and 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 the stuff that's all the stuff in your life that you remember. And that's my memory from this in this thing. So when 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 you suggested that, I was just I was like, oh yeah, absolutely, because because uh, I you know that that memory just I remember those guys. Uh, my buddy Pete's still alive, and we're uh, you know we don't live near each other anymore, but you know we're still friends and uh, long distance bud. But you know what? It's cool that you know, and I but I think of Jeff, and I think of I think of those times of us being young guys out in the garage, just blasting out, cranking up the amps, and. That night going to creep show. So anyway, I'll get off my big story here, but I wanted to just say I wanted, <laughs> I a story I wanted, like to, that, I wanted to say something. I was I wanted to say something back because like I've never really told that story to anybody. It's it's just a little story. It's just a memory. But it's well, it was, you could share that. Talking, That's cool. I, you know, my, I just I remember that just like it happened yesterday, man. And that's the beauty about these movies and the memories that come with them. That's what's that's what's cool about it. So I just remember my my first time seeing it was with my mom. She had rented it on on VHS. We lived out in the boonies, so even getting to the video store back in those days was, you know, it was a track. But I remember her bringing it home. It was probably about a year after it came out. And I was so I was about seven years old, eight years old, and I remember being in my PJ sitting in front of the TV. Big old bowl of popcorn, which is the way it always was. It brings, it always comes back to popcorn. That's why popcorn's, it's a time capsule kind of snack. You know, it, 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 just like these movies, popcorn brings you back. And right. I just remember being transfixed because I wasn't much older or younger than than uh, Joe Hill was or Joe King was at the time when he when, when they shot this and he plays right. you know 
Stephen King's son, Joe, plays little Billy Hopkins in this. Right. So, yeah, I was pretty much right at that right at that age, you know, and I had a father much like Tom Atkins in this movie. <laughs> oh, no. And I love Tom Atkins, man, but I do not like him in this movie. I like—I mean, I, I, I love to hate him. You know, he plays, he's always a good actor, but yeah. He, <laughs> he definitely did his job. He definitely did oh, his yeah. job. Yeah. You hate that son of a bitch right off the bat, man. He, well, yeah, you know, I mean, he, be- he beats his kid, slaps him upside the head a couple times yeah. before having a horror comic. It's not like he found cocaine in his room, you know, <laughs> you know, or, or found a dead animal. And I, here's my one problem with it. His dad was okay with, with with him having monster action figures and stuff hanging on shelves on his wall on a Dracula poster, but he was going to throw away the comic book. The right, comic right. Book was too far. That was the thing you know, that set off. Not the comic book. Yeah, right. I think it was because the stuff in there was supposed to be too dirty. You know, classic right. Dracula and Godzilla is one thing, but this stuff is supposed to be dirty. And it wasn't really... You know, it's gory. It's very gory. So I guess the way it plays out on screen, you know, I guess, you know, like he says later on, he's like, you know, people turning in the weeds, you know, things coming out of crates and eating people, people turn it into weeds for Christ's sake. <laughs> like, hey, right. the line he has, that's why God made fathers, babe. And I'm like, oh, they made me hate him as he's pouring his beer. I'm like, man, I just want to. <laughs> just want to Memories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We all got those, dude. It's so funny. Yeah, it's always. That you know, something line like that, you're like, you, you son of a bitch. We'll just be doing each chapter. Well, you know, we've already done the intro, which pretty much is you know, you've already talked about it. You know, after uh, the dad takes away the comic and he tosses it in the trash outside, the creeper shows up and kind of introduces us to the world of creep show. And we'll do each chapter, there's five different stories in this. In this movie, uh, in Creepshow 2, there's three, but these are a little bit shorter, you know, and so they get, we get five of them. We won't really do an IMDb synopsis because IMDb synopsis is one sentence and it doesn't say anything, <laughs> you know. Right. But the first chapter, we'll just do them chapter by chapter for now. So that sounds good. The, the first one, Father's Day. Yes, I, I don't, oh, God. I remember the scaring the getting this bejesus scared out of me on this one. Uh, actually, every single one of them was scarier, scarier than the next. I mean, you know, I mean, you get the story of Great Aunt Bedelia, who, you know, supposedly killed her overbearing father that was a bootlegger and a murderer with a marble ashtray. And everybody's gathered on Father's Day every year as they do, and they have a big dinner with the family. But now. Uh, Hank, who's the Cass's, who's a member of the family, Cass is uh, uh, a niece of the characters. And they, they've all gathered, they've all gotten a big chunk of the guy's uh, inheritance money. You know, when he died, you know, Great Umpadelia was just like, hey, you know, like told the family, we'll share and share alike. But he's a new, newest member of the family and he's never met Great Umpadelia. So he gets the story about how. He had a stroke and she was taking care of him. And this was after that he had her her lover killed, you know. So there's a big backstory with these people. The Granthams are just horrible people. Yeah. They're all just (laughs) snooty rich people. And I'm like, I remember thinking to myself as a kid, if this is what being rich and in high society is like, I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, it's like I don't want to know any of these people, even if I did get rich. 
I'm not going to hang out at their house, man. Like, what, what do you think? I mean, really, there's nothing about these people that you like. <laughs> and the thing I, wo- I walked away from this one were two things. Ed Harris's disco dancing to that Don't Let Go song, him going through his disco fever moves and whatnot. <laughs> Ed Harris is a great actor. He's a great serious actor, very intense. But <laughs> some of his moves were highly questionable. And yeah, the thought- other thing, where's my cake? And say, that's oh. the other thing is, where's my cake? <laughs> Just the setup on this thing, you know, anything with a graveyard school. And of course, you know, having, you know, Romero and, you know, filming his thing and, and just thing, I, I, just the whole thing, the setup to it and getting you out to the graveyard and having, you know, Bedelia going out there, you know, all fucked up, you know, they do a good setup for her, you know, like she starts drinking straight Jim Beam, like she just pulls a bottle out and starts drinking straight Jim Beam on their father's grave. I love yeah. it. As I mean, an adult, does. I get it. As a kid, I was like, I don't get any of this, but... <laughs> You know, like, she don't give a fuck. You know, she did what she had to do, whatever the hell happened. But she's, she's fucked up. She's going to go go visit, you know, Pop's grave. And so, you know, she's there getting all fucked up. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it's creepy as it is. And they, they kind of they cut back and forth. Like, you know, she's never late. You know, she's always, because she, she, she's supposed to show up for this annual dinner. And it's the night of this annual dinner. And now she's late. And they're all back wondering where the hell she is. And, of course, uh uh ed harris is doing his awesome uh dancing <laughs> which is funny it's good i like it i mean it's, he's, oh yeah he's well there cool. is a humor it. with all of these all of these are very dark and very twisted but there there is a sort of like wink wink kind of humor to it right uh i do like that uh when she finally like she drops the bottle and the booze kind of pours out into the dirt on the grave uh you know this old it's a cool old graveyard you know with the big you know, the big, cool tombstones, the old school. Oh, yeah. And uh, the guy who brought us Night of the Living Dead to have a cool graveyard with some undead folk in it. Right. And it's beautiful. <laughs> She's there on the grave, like, all fucked up. Like, she don't give a fuck, you know, like, fuck you, you know. And yeah. all of a sudden, bang, she, then we see flashback footage of kind of what happens. So we get to see what a prick Nathan was, you know, he's, they're shouting over and over again and wrapping that cane down where it's just echoing and screaming, calling her all the kind of words in a book that a father should never call his daughter, you know? Right. It is harsh. And, uh, it's harsh. And he's, you know, you're like, oh, fuck this dude. I'm glad she, you know, I'm glad he's dead. You know, I mean, he's a, well, especially you know, when you get the, the news that like he had her, you know, he was so jealous of her being happy that he had her, you know, boyfriend slash lover murdered in a, Supposed right. hunting accident, you know. Right. And it's bad all the way around. I mean, you know, he's he's just, you know, just a fucking jerk. And then so the 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 the, the flashback's cool because it sets up, you know, you know, who this guy really what he was really like and what he did to her. But it gets cool because when that after that whiskey pours on her, it's not too long, all of a sudden, bing bang boom. Bedelia's oh, laying on the grass. And the hand comes busting through the grass. And the way it comes up in that close-up, and she turns towards us, like, looking at us, looking at the hand, so we see that hand and her in the same shot, is this iconic, you know? that Iconic, so and, it, and I don't care if you know the movie already, it still makes you jump. You know, like, oh, yeah. uh. <laughs> yeah. It does make you jump a little bit, even though you know it's coming. Yeah, now, you know, I, 
I got to mention something. I, I wonder now. I'm I'm just throwing this out there. Something I didn't think of until the last time I watched this movie, and I thought it again when I watched it this time because I watched it on a Halloween a little little less than a month ago. Do you think that because he was a bootlegger that the booze when she dropped the Jim Beam bottle and it pours out into his grave that somehow the booze brought him back or was a catalyst? I because think. What, what, you know I, why would it just all of a sudden happen this year? I think that they showed that for a reason, and that was exactly what that was. It was like it's like that booze kind of soaked in, and and if nothing else, it opened the door. You know what I mean? Like you know, it yeah. could have been more symbolically than you know just actual alcohol hitting him, but something about because he was a bootlegger. I think because they show the bottle tips, like why have it and why show it? If they show it tipped over, she drops it in there, and you hear it going glug glug glug. You know, and it's spilling out of the grass. And, you know, in the party or in you, you're like, pick the bottle up, shit. Don't let that shit spill. Yeah, you why, why, why she like, was just kind of laughing like, <laughs> no big deal. Like, yeah, no, no, that's, that's your, your booze. Pick it back up. Right. If you were a real drunk, you'd have grabbed that bottle. That's your stash. You're not going to let your stash pour out. But anyway, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I think it had, I think that was symbolic at, uh, because, you know, because of his yeah. past shit. I think it totally was part of what maybe was the catalyst to like, you know, having him you know, reanimate. And, uh, so he exactly does. What happens. And he, when he comes up out of there, you know, and this is, this is the one thing this was cool. And, and, and what you, it, throughout every story, these are classic old school, Tom Savini, those guys back then made these fucking awesome special effects and the monsters and the fucking way they looked. It's so good. I mean, there's no CGI and no trickery. I like a CGI. It, yeah. This is all old school. They make monsters, man. They make monsters. They make, they make it little maggots on them, you know, whatever they got to do, you know, if they when he talks. Maggots, you know? Yeah. And they, they, they got this fucker and this dude is scary as balls, dude. I mean, yeah, this fuck face to face. Yeah. And I've heard people say, "Why didn't she get up and run away?" I'm like, I would be as frozen in fear as she is if I was, yeah. you know, if I was face to face with this thing, because she it's probably, just like it's all caked with dirt, and it's like it, it's almost like the dirt and the maggots are holding, you know, her her father together. You know, the, I mean, he's gooey. He's like, it's almost like even though he's dead, it's almost like he's, you know, he really is alive. You know, he's talking because. It's like he's so gooey and sticky and just like in these maggots and the dirt. Yeah, it's exactly that. And he comes up and he's just there, you know. And yeah, it, I mean, if you saw that, you'd probably fucking shit your drawers. You right. Know, for That'd real. be about all you'd be able to do. Yeah, that's shit all, my that's drawers. That's all you'd be effective at. <laughs> right. And then I rolled up in the fetal position. I shit some more and I cried. <laughs> as <laughs> as like, I was dying. But right. He just starts going, where's my cake? I'm just like, oh man, like the voice, it sounds like it's, you know, it, it looks and sounds like it, it, his throat is just caked with maggots and dirt. Right. And like it's, oh, it, it's Rotted so good. Maggot filled lungs just and this dead shit coming out of his mouth, you know, with a breath, uh, you know, and like you just yeah, that voice, dude, it's so good. I mean, God dang, man, these guys were, these, that's why, I mean, these movies back then, I'm not knocking anybody now, but I'm just saying, 
but those those classic what we remember is we we remember these there's a lot of cheesy effects in movies back then too but i mean these were these were top shelf you know monsters top shelf savini you know right i mean, I mean the top of his game and top of his game and oh my god it's so that that's when he's coming up out of that there that is so fucking scary I mean, and the, really, then it juxtapositions with the next scene where we get, we get the Ed Helms, not Ed Helms, Jesus, <laughs> Ed Harris, uh, Ed Harris, wrong, wrong, wrong Ed there, doing his disco <laughs> dance. You, you know, the, this is the one problem I, I, I ha have with this is when he goes out, you know, they, the Sylvia tells him, man, why don't you turn that, you know, music down? So he turns it down, goes out for a cigarette, and then... He decides I'm going to go look for um, Ampedelia, and you know I'm going to go find her. So he goes through the, the graveyard, and he finds the grave and the overturned bottle of Jim Beam, and he looks at it, and he kind of sniffs it. He's like, "No, nah, seems like the real deal. I think I'll drink it." Then he falls into the hole, and then of course the gravestone starts to move. And this is the one part I like. I, I you know again we you know it's it's a movie. You know you'd be, be probably frozen in fear seeing this. You know, but like. Why did he just roll out of the fucking way? Like, come on, come on, Ed. You could have done that. You could have done better. He's probably uh -huh. thinking that too. Like, he's probably thinking that too when he's laying there. Like, you know, this is real. I would have fucking moved. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's another frozen in fear thing because then Ampedelia, he sees Ampedelia's laying strangled to death next to him. He looks right. up once the, the, cause the, you know, it's just keeps moving on its own. It keeps shifting. And shifting and shifting like it's coming towards him, and then when he sees the the shadow of you know Papa Grantham, and he looks up and sees him, he's almost raising his hands like doing a Bell Lugosi like casting a spell kind of thing, and whoosh, knocks the, right. that tombstone over on him. And again, it's it's a it's a great shot when it falls over right in a close up, and Grantham is in the background just looking at us. It's another one of those great you know angled shots. I love it. Oh, I love yeah. it. It's beautiful. It just—it's beautiful. I mean, it's—it's—you watch it's like, oh god, you know, it's everything is framed beautifully in this this movie. I think we need to mention it. it we could mention it in every single chapter of this movie, but it, it's it, all across the board. I think it helps that with this anthology, it was one director. You know, it was just George Romero. Lots of times, I think sometimes anthologies get. You know the the levels of like humor and horror and the the thematic qualities of it just get a little off from one director to the next and they're not always on the same page i, I like a, an anthology like this you know where everything yeah, is by say, the same director because everything say, is yeah everything's everything, framed like a comic book everything's right. framed like a comic panel sometimes the edits even turn like a page or, or it switches from one angle to the next by gl gliding across you know comic book panels i love that um yeah the continuity in this thing it was is was is amazing is between the the between the shorts and having the same director is what's cool because yeah it does have familiarity it's not like you know even though the story could be completely way off and different not way off but you know different from the other story right. it all had the same look and, and and that's what made this thing beautiful and then yeah the comic book the page is turning and then there's a little bit of like you know comic booky looking stuff and then it goes into the next one and uh, that was that was absolutely yeah I agree a hundred percent that would. I think a couple different directors. It could have been cool. I'm not going to say it. It wouldn't have been, yeah. but the fact that well, he I mean, didn't it wouldn't have been cool, but his, I, I, 
I like all kinds of anthologies, you know, whether they're directed by the same director or not. I just tend to like ones better when it's the same director behind the lens for all of them. If that makes I, sense. Yeah, but uh, we get you know, the one death we don't get to see because Sylvia is now gonna go look for old Hank Ed, and she goes into the you know the kitchen, and Mrs. Danvers is nowhere around, and then she calls out her name. She kind of falls against the door, and there's like a little peephole, and she can see Mrs. Danvers' face planted against it. She's dead. I always I, wondered what happened to Mrs. Danvers. I, like, I'm just going to assume Grantham broke her neck since that seemed to be what he liked to do was strangle or, or and break neck. So just going to assume that that's how it happened because that's what he does. He grabs Sylvia and he just goes, I want my cake and just does like a Bruce Lee move <laughs> and just right. like flips her head all the way around and pops her head right off. I would agree with that. And that's probably exactly what happened or whether it was filmed and shown and not put in the movie or whatever but that's uh, i would i would say that just the way her face looked you know what i mean it wasn't she wasn't like too brutalized it was just you know he probably just snapped her neck killed her and now she's looking through this porthole glass through the door you know and that's pretty that was always a funny shot that made me jump when i was a kid but also made me laugh because all right. of a sudden like she's standing there and she just bam like face plants against that portal right <laughs> <laughs> it puts in the way the Sylvia character just freezes and turns her head, does that slow fucking burn, and then sees Mrs. Danvers dead and just freaks the fuck out, turns, runs right into Grantham, gets her head popped off. <laughs> and this is a good this is this is a good point in this to kind of talk about the way the lighting what they did there. Because it's like they were they were they like okay, like they're in this big house, this big, really rich house. But they walk into the kitchen and the lights are off, but it's everything's kind of blue, you know. But it's still yeah. so it sets a mood, like it's kind of like everything looks a little off, you know what I mean? Like, 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 like Dario, well, everything you know, when uh, the colors like a killing happens, you know, or something is about to happen, the lighting changes, right. You know? It just either goes for blues and reds and bright greens and you know, yeah, just, and it definitely it definitely you know your your it definitely tunes in your emotions. You know what I mean? Like you can feel it. You know what I mean? You're watching it and like it just looks like he, she didn't walk into a bright kitchen. It wouldn't no. look the same. You know, she's in this like dark, like what the kitchen? Like why? What are you conserving energy? I think that one dude says that. Yeah, you know, yeah. The the, like, the nephew Richard. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, and it's kind of like, yeah, why? But it, it's, you know, it's, and it's a, kind of a funny line, but it's, but it's cool. It really was effective. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's, well, you know, the it, funny part of it is that they're drunk as hell. Cass convinces him, let's go now. Let's, you know, Ed or Hank went looking for Aunt Bedelia. Sylvia went looking for Hank. Well, let's go look for S Sylvia. That's how people die in horror movies. You right. Like separated and looking for people or whatever. And they're like, <laughs> it's like, Nobody's coming back, you know, they like, know, hey, what the fuck, you know. Well, they notice some shit's up, like, two seconds too late. You know, they look down, they see the, the muddy footprints, and they open the doors into the kitchen, and there's Grantham, you know, like, hello, I got my Father's Day cake, which is Sylvia's head on a big sterling silver platter. Oh, with God, a, that is so cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with that, and it looked like, 
a real head. It didn't look like a you know a fucking fake head, you know, doctored up to look like the actress. It it looked like a real head because this is covered in like a big slop of icing and candles burning sticking out of it. You know, and he's hey. like, "Happy Father's Day," and that's like, right? right. Yeah. And it, there's like, you know, looking down. Can you imagine like looking down with his head? You know, like if Sylvia, you know, and you're like, you know, like that's really happening. Like, who the what the fuck? You know, this monster, you know, this fucking big zombie skeleton fucking fucking dude with maggots all over him holding the fucking head. I mean, how, you know, it's like, you know, and so they freeze frame on that and they, and they, it's, you know, and you're just like, you know, of course it's horrifying and you're just like, what the fucking holy hell? And then it goes, it go, and then it kind of, it, it doesn't like tie it up in a nice bow for you. It leaves it open. Like they're standing there like, Oh fuck! What's next? So obviously, yes. I mean, they're but, saying they're just screaming, and that it ends on them screaming. Then it turns into the comic book again, right? So it leaves it open. Like, what you? What do you think? Well, what what do you think is going to happen? He's going to kill those fuckers too. You I know, always it, wondered it, that myself. Wondered what their end was, but I would assume that he killed them because I, why would he let any of the family get away with his money? Right. He's getting all of them. He's got his cake. And he's eating it too. Yeah, he's gonna eat it too. That's <laughs> if this if this was the feature, it would end. It would have ended with him killing both of them. And right. That's, all right. Let's uh, go, go ahead and uh, go right into chapter two. I figure we'll do an overall rating at the end, and maybe uh, list list the five in the order of which we like them the most. But uh, we're just gonna kind of do an in depth review along the way of each chapter. Now, the second chapter. Ah, uh, God. Fucking love this one. I, I'm going to say that with each one of these chapters. The Lonesome right. Death of Jody Verrill, which was based on the short story Weeds by Stephen King. He adapted it to the screen for this one. The Father's Day uh, episode we just re- reviewed and uh, and did was an original story by King, but this one was actually was well an original story written for the film. Right, this right. one was uh, uh, the short story Weeds, which I also remember reading. Oh, good story, but you know, trouble—it's trouble from the word go for old Jordy Verrill. I mean, Stephen King plays the role so well. You know, I I read that they had asked him to uh, Stephen King to act in this, basically, you know, as as a way to write himself into the movie. You know, but they wanted him to play it like uh, the Wile E. Coyote. That's how they wanted him to play Jordy Verrill, and I think that's pretty accurate. He's basically like a big kid. He's very simple, but he's not like the atypical like redneck he's he's not mean he's not racist he's not an asshole he's just very much very kid-like he's kid-like he's you know he's not necessarily a dummy but he's 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 simple he's a simple man of simple means but he's probably got you know he's probably well-mannered and he's you know and he's probably a good guy he's just a little slow and he's lived out here his whole life and and uh yeah he's in the but he's and i'll tell you what he uh he's like a gomer pot he nails it it kind of like a what? Like Gomer Pyle, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, and uh, I remember I remember the, the line where he's, well, well, we can talk about the story, uh, get into it. But, uh, yeah, he, I, just, I, like, I like the fact, I really like the whole thing with something coming in, you know, uh, from, you know, from, you know, uh, a meteorite to hitting on his land, and that whole thing, and him coming out. And I, I liked him, like, Calculating his head, how much he can get. <laughs> yeah, because he's he's 
you know, yeah. big dreams to make a $200 payday, you know, when he has his little dream vision where he's just like, we're going to pay off that bank loan. He's like, they're trying to give him 50 bucks for a meteor. He's like, I won't take no less than 200. My mama didn't raise no idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, man. I love that because, you know, he's like, 200 bucks. You're like, what the hell? You know, but right. it's fun. I love it. It's not like, you know, and he's, I mean, it, and he's not at. And he's not after it. This goes back to like the character, how we kind of like him. He's not after a bunch of money. He just wants to pay off his thing, and he needs 200 bucks. That's all. Yeah, that's you it. Know, he, that's he's not he, trying to be too greedy. But I think it's funny that it's like that's his biggest ambition is it's like, oh, make me $200. My meteor, my price. Right. My price. And I, I mean, it. it starts right off into the action. I mean, like the opening shot is two seconds into it, the meteor crashes in his front yard as he's, you know, watching it. So what's the first thing he does? He tries to fucking touch it. You know, like, <laughs> that's how simple he is. He may, be, he may be a good guy, but he's not too bright. Yeah, he touches it, and that's his first mistake. And then it's just a bunch of mistakes. And then yeah, he goes... Is this one mistake leading to the next? It's like a comical version <laughs> of the Twilight Zone. Right. And so he's right now, and then, so he decides it's too hot, so he douses it with water. And, um, and it cracks open. Which, you know, just leads to even worse things for him. Because <laughs> now he's beating himself up like, oh, Jordy, you did it now. You know, because now it's cracked. You know, you don't have a full meteorite. And, like, you know, and, and he's, so he's beating himself up with that, you know, the, you know, the old Charlie Brown, the black cloud over my head thing. You know, he's just like, yeah. you know, like oh, you know, oh, I'm always yeah. screwing up, you know. And, and, uh, and it's just kind of, it makes him more endearing, actually, because he's, you know, he's just like, oh, you know, here and, you know, it's like that kind of thing happens that we all get through. Like, oh, why me? Why is it always me? You well, know? You know, he says, like, you know, the feral luck is always in and always bad. You know, and he's like, always well, you, bad. you did it again. You did it again, Jordy Barrel. Right. <laughs> uh, I do like when uh, he, they're counting the money and the line he says when he's giving him the money, he goes, keep accounting. Yeah, I remember that. Keep accounting. And I, 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 yeah. I like, and I love the the part. This is the part that where I where my knowledge might be a little murky. But don't most meteors break up into a million little pieces when they land anyway? So like his whole thinking of nobody would want a broken meteor. I think most of the time they're just chunks of rock anyway, because he could just say, "Hey, I had two fucking meteors in my yard." (laughs) You know, it it might not have been that right. Yeah. I think and I right, love the line. right, you know, it initially has like a bowling ball sized meteor, and now it's been in half, so it's not going to be worth as much. <laughs> I love it when he gets that gooey stuff on it that he dumps out of it at first, and he's like, meteor shit. And like, right. <laughs> and, and I want to understand, like, how did it go from being blue goo inside of it to turning into like, Looking like the hair on the back of Swamp Thing, you know, <laughs> like like yeah, back. yeah, it's it like, starts mute mutating and kind of getting it all over, and you start to see. And I like how they how they do it, it because it, it, it's just like okay, what's what's going to happen with this shit? And then you, you see his fingers, and he's got like these little blisters on them. And then next yeah. thing you know, they start to get you know these these little green little patches. Yeah, like it almost looks like moss. This pretty right. much. And then he's sucking on him. He's watching TV. Which I also made a note. I made a note on the TV, even though they hardly show what's on the TV. He's watching old school WWF, not WWE, but WWF wrestling with Vince McMahon himself doing the side-by-side commentary. Ah, yes, yes, yes. 
this is a part of nostalgia there being an old school wrestling fan right. like I am. Right. That is that that is that isn't that is true. He's sucking on his fingies. <laughs> and he's and he realizes, I guess, at some point, you know, that that's the next mistake is he's sucking on right. his fingers, the moss ridden fingers. He's sucking on his nasty, dirty fingers that he burnt, you know, just like a kid would put it in your mouth and like, you know, try to make it better. And then, uh, and then, you know, and the next thing you know, he's, he looks and then he realizes what, you know, that now it's, you know, I think it was some point when he's looking in the mirror and he puts his tongue out and like, then now his tongue is green and this, this, this stuff is starting to spread. So it's basically him running around the house, like just, fucking shit up and not really realizing you know and, and like getting mad at himself that well, uh, yeah i mean he he at one point like you know uh, he falls asleep and he wakes back up and the shit has grown more and he's like oh what a bad dream and he looks around and he's like oh no right right this shit's still happening right and, and he almost goes to the doctor but he has another one of those like dream sequences or you know and then the mind of jody verrill sequence where the doctor's just like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Verrill, but those fingers are going to have to come off. And it's like very nightmarish, very right. Creepy. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. And he's like, ain't going to be cutting my fingers off. Nope. Right. And that's really like it's the poor the poor guy, you know, if he maybe had went in then, I mean, it, they would have had to probably cut his tongue off. They would have had to cut his fingers off, but he might have survived. Might have. Probably not, because he probably ingested some of that shit and it was grown from the inside out. But, you know, it's just one bad decision after another for this poor guy. He really is just the Gomer Pyle of this movie. Well, he does have the uh, uh, that, that the scene where he, where he finds that bottle of vodka and he basically pours it all into a cup and stirs it around by sticking With the, the bottle. bottle. <laughs> I love it. That's I love when he stirs that, the picture of the drink with the bottle. That, I, that. I, I'll tell you, he probably just did that on his own, you know, like, you know, like probably, I don't know, just because, you know, he's, I mean, he's, he knows, you know, his characters and the shit. And I bet, I'll tell you what, man, he, he was really good in this. You know, I, I really like the way his, uh, I, I, I mean, they could have got a lot of people to play it, but I'm glad that he did it. And not just because of Stephen King, but he did a great job. You know, he looked, he had the, you know, that kind of dopey look in his face. You know, he had had the kind of Johnny Ramone haircut. (laughs) Yeah, he had Johnny Ramone's haircut, but he had a unibrow, man. (laughs) Right, oh, he's got, got, yeah, he's definitely got the King unibrow. But but he was was really great in this thing. But um, he's got that moment where, like you said, he passes out and he wakes up and then he realizes... Is real, and then he's got the uh, he's got the uh, the deal where he's going to he you know he's so itchy, and he's looking in the mirror and yeah. he's got that big beard growing on him now, and it's spreading all over him, and he wants to take a bath, and then he's cautioned to the his the ghost of his father appears in the mirror if I remember correctly, right? He right, probably, right, and and it's the same actor that, and that's what leads me to believe that like the poor guy had daddy issues because he sees his father his daddy in in the mirror and it's the same actor that was playing all the people in his like little uh visions that he was having like of going to the to the school to to sell the meteor of going to the doctor is the same actor i forgot the doctor's yeah. name but it's the same actor so is this like yeah it's uh oh, I yeah. Heard it's, it's 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 uh his name is bingo o'malley as jordy's father and the doctor so it's, yep. it is the same guy. You were correct. Bingo, 
Bingo O'Malley is his name? It says Bingo O'Malley. <laughs> so, yeah. It's so, a hell of a handle, man. Unless that was a, yeah, unless that was like, yeah, you know, he come up with his name for this movie. But, but yeah, but, uh, so he basically warns him uh, about, uh, about uh, that, you know, the plants, you know, if he gets in the tub, he's going to make it worse. Yeah, it's the water. Uh, that, he that doesn't listen, gets in it. It's itch, he's itching to death, and he jumps in the water anyway. And uh, so he, so basically, he's he's pretty much set everything off now. You know, this stuff is going to spread like wildfire. Yeah, like, he sealed his fate big time. I like how they cut back and forth, like while all these shenanigans are going on. They'll cut outside and they show like a water faucet with like this drippy green stuff on it, and, and like uh-huh. everything getting everything's getting these tall blades of grass. Like, like then it's even on the roof. It's you know it's yeah, on the walls. It's growing. Taking over, and they're setting it up to show like it's pretty hopeless. This is this is taking over. Whatever this alien vegetation, yeah. is, it's it's going to take over. So now we see him. It's morning time. Um, he wakes up and he's a solid like man. You know, you can see the arms and feet and his head, but you can't actually see anything. Yeah, I mean, you can't see any features. You can see, like, the shape of a head, of the arms and legs and the torso. It looks humanoid. It it, it basically kind of looks like a big fuzzy swamp thing, you know? Right. It's all vegetation. He's one saw thing, and he and he's conscious enough. He's subconscious. He knows what's going on. And uh, so he basically, now, he, he knows he's fucked. He reaches for a shotgun. Uh, and oh, that's a sad scene. Yeah, it is. He 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 knows it's over, and he and he puts the gun. Up. You don't even see his face. He just kind of pops it into the vegetation and blows his it blows his head off. And that last line he has, he's like, "Let my luck be in just this once. Let my luck be yeah. in just this I, once, please." Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. I remember. Yeah, you're right. And that's and that's a nice. It's sad, but it's like yeah. This one time, let me. You know, let me win. You know, what I mean, like, yeah. Let me do something right, and like right now, I just want to time. I need, I need to win this one. You know, so he kills, he blows his head off, um, and then uh, as it, the kind of camera just kind of pulls back, and then you can hear the radio, a, a radio uh, forecast. The guys talking about the heavy rains that are coming, and it's going to rain for like thirty days. It's going right. to, yeah, the next thirty days, yeah. Right, and then they show the sign. I think going to the town or whatever. And well, it's uh, it's going to Castle Rock, and and right. and and they show the vegetation is spreading down the road, and it's it's obviously this rain's going to hit, and mankind is doomed. <laughs> that's, that's right, over. You know, I felt like it was almost like a this one was a little more sci fi ish, you know, and it was a very much kind of like a. Uh, an outer limits uh yeah, yeah. episode like you know warning of like don't fuck with mother nature especially don't fuck with mother nature from other planets because you know yeah and it, 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 it's, it's that real sense of dread you know like, right. it's like there's oh, no hope this is the no, end of everything right we don't it's just gonna it's gonna take some time to spread but it's gonna spread fast and it's gonna go everywhere i mean it's nobody's gonna know what to do and they're all going to end up like Jordy, you know, and, uh, fucking Jordy. It's all his fault. Yeah, fucking Jordy. And then, uh, so yeah, that's basically, that's it. And then it, it goes back to the animation of the comic book. And then, uh, it goes on to our next show.
and I'll let you announce that and carry yeah. on. This next chapter is called Something to Tide You Over. And this is the one. Now, I won't say this is my favorite chapter of the anthology, but it was the one that affected me the most as a kid because it felt like, at least for the majority of it, felt the most realistic about being buried alive or being buried up to your neck and having some crazy person, you know, be at their whim. But I'm I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I mean, it's basically about, you know, Ted Danson plays a character <clears throat> named Harry who had been sleeping with Leslie Nielsen's uh, wife, who's played in part uh, in, in a very small cameo by Galen Ross, who is also in uh, Dawn of the Dead. She was also in Romero's Dawn of the Dead, yes. But uh, Leslie Nielsen uh, played Richard Vickers, and uh, he... It's again, it's called something that tied you over. And it, it basically opens up with Harry is just a, a guy who looks like he's a, a swinging bachelor kind of laying around his house. Someone knocks at his door, wakes him up, and it's Leslie Nielsen as Richard. And Harry kind of, you know, runs his mouth at first, like, you know, hey, you know, you know, this shit might work in the movies, but you either pull your foot out of the door or you're going to lose half of it. And he right. tells him straight up, and he's like, you know goddamn well who I am. And basically tells him, you know, I, I know you've been sleeping with my wife, so you're either going to let me in or you're never going to see her again. It's, you know, he Harry, for all his bravado, Ted Danson, you know, tries to be tough, but he he, he breaks him down pretty fast. Right, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, he sets him like, hey, you, you're the one fucking me over, fucker. And yeah, it's like, you're going to let me in and hear what I got to say because you, right. you know, you're mowing my lawn, so to speak. Right. <laughs> let's hand it to Leslie Nielsen. We'll probably get into this uh, several times over this episode, but he is the, the shining uh, star of this movie. Of, of all the segments, of all the characters in any of the five segments, he is the one to watch. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's not his usual, you know, p- police Lieutenant Drebin from, you know, Police Squad and, and Naked Gun and the airplane movies. This is him. It's pretty evil. You know, and he'd been in a couple of horror movies, but never quite like this. I mean, I think he's the reason to watch it. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. He's fantastic. You know, he's, you know, he's, you, you can tell this guy has lived a really good life. And, you know, he's really, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's just not some, you know, some jealous husband coming to, you know, have to add a few beers, wants to go kick the guy's ass. He's, he's. He's really, he's really well thought out here and he's really cold and calculating, you know, like when he comes in and, and you could tell right off the bat, like, you know, you're like, this dude, Harry's in some trouble. <laughs> like, yeah, Harry doesn't see it. He just keeps, it's again, it's a movie that the, where the, one of the main characters is marred by a lot of bad decisions. He right. didn't have to go with Leslie Nielsen. He didn't, you know, later on, he doesn't have to do what he does by getting into the hole when we get a little ahead of ourselves. I mean, especially when, you know, he tells, uh, when Liz and Nielsen tells him, I, it's like, I keep what is mine, no exceptions. And he's right. like, and he's like, and I am not saying Harry, he's like, except, or, or, he's like, I am saying, he's like, except for when it comes to what is mine, you know, when it comes to that, I am not saying at all. That should have been his, yeah. his, his, his note to get the fuck out of Dodge and get the hell away that, from this guy. Because that was my thought from the get go. He's like, if somebody's saying that, they're like, they're telling you. I ain't fucking around, and I'm gonna do whatever the fuck it takes because you fucking took my shit, 
and I'm gonna fucking I'm I'm here to get revenge. I'm not here to make a deal with you. You know what I mean? And 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 but he lets him know he, that he's, he let him, lets him know that he's got the upper hand. He's like because he put, puts out that little handheld recorder and he plays the tape of Galen Ross's character Rebecca, the the wife. The, right. and the lover, you know, begging for her life, telling Harry, if you don't come, he's going to kill me. Please come, Harry, please come. So, you know, listen, Nielsen isn't exactly playing uh, playing right here. He's playing dirty. <laughs> right. And he he basically what he does is he he manipulates Harry's emotions like because Harry could have just like, all right, fucking fine. You know, you know, I don't get to see your wife again. What do I care? I'm going to get out of here. But he he fucks with him enough to convince Harry to get in Richard's Jeep and they drive he basically uh Richard uh Leslie Nielsen takes uh Harry uh uh down to uh down to his really nice beach house right on the beach. Oh and lovely place. Kind of, I mean the house is nice, is beautiful, yeah. the beach is beautiful. But not only is it just a nice beach house. It's a private beach, so he's it's that thing in all horror movies, the seclusion, getting you away, you know, the kids at the campground away from parents, you know. He's just like the cabin in the woods. Right. He's got him out now, he's got him away from everybody, and now he is his. He he, you know, Richard has got the upper hand. And uh so he basically he he takes him out into the sand and there's this big hole. And you know Ted Danson at this point is like, like, hey, you know, like, fuck this. Well, he's like, you know, he's like, fuck you. I'm not getting into this hole. He's like, you right. can shoot me if, because he pulls out a gun, right? You know, and, 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 right. You know, and uh, Ted Danson's like, shoot me if you want to. He's like, but I'm not going to get in the hole. And he's like, oh well, that's not my plan. I'm, I just want to incapacitate you so you then you can see, you know, Rebecca. And he's like, nah. He's like, I ain't doing it. And he's like, well, I do got the gun, don't I? And in in my head, this had been a very different movie if I was in that position because I'd have just charged him. I'd have taken my chances (laughs) with taking a bullet because ain't nobody going to bury me with with me not resisting, you know? Right. Like, I get in the hole. He just told you he's not sane. You know, it, it should be mentioned, too, that Ted Danson says, hey, listen. You know, he tries to explain to me, he's like, there's not going to be any uh, community property shit. There's not going to be any kind of alimony. She just wants out. She's, you know, she doesn't want any money. She doesn't want anything here. She just wants to go. And he's like, I don't let go of anything, Harry. You know, and that's when you, as an audience, you realize how insane Leslie Nielsen really is. How completely insane he is. And it's like another reason, like, hey, look, you know, if you jump in that hole, it's over. I mean, it's like, he's not going to, yeah, yeah, I would have thought the same thing as you, like, charge him or run to the water and zigzag formation. It's like, yes, uh, take a chance with a bullet because, you know, he might, he's going to hit you. Right. He, might, he might hit, miss. He might he hit you and you might live. But, right. but going to that hole, like, the thought, the thought with, with Saint, that the thought of being buried or at least, you know, even if you're, you know, and to be down in that hole. And then not being, you know, you know, it's like, my God, I mean, does that, that's how, how horrible is that? You know what I mean? It's the, it really brings on anxiety and you know, like, oh fuck, you know, not being able to move your arms and that. So basically that's what happens. He gets him down in that hole and he makes Harry like pull the sand in on himself, which is right. even crazier. And then yeah, they like to help bury yourself, you know? Right. So then oh. they come to a thing where 
now Leslie Richard, Leslie Nielsen is uh, is uh, packing down the sand around uh, Harry's head with the shovel, you know, getting night, making it nice and tight. Yeah, and he tells him, he's like, no, that feels good, doesn't it? It feels like you're in wet cement, can't move your arms. And he, 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 he not goads him. He's like, go ahead, try to move. And Harry can't because you not nobody, I don't care how strong you are, would be able to move buried up to your neck in, in wet sand. Right, exactly. So now, real quick, before we get too far, going going back to an earlier scene when Richard first comes to Harry's apartment, I like how they set this up, where like when he when he's got Harry's got his TV and the VCR player and all that. I like how like Richard like they set up like this guy's into closed cameras and or closed circuit TV and he's into like video and stuff because I like he how he reaches just nonchalant. He reaches back and he just checks. Harry's cable connection, like, hey, you know, you really got to check this cable connection here for a better picture or whatever he says, and he tightens it up. Right, he's like, yeah, the cables are loose back here. I'm surprised right. you didn't notice the quality. In the he's very much a tech okay. guy. Right, and I like how he said, like, why would you bother with that? But it's funny because now you know. So yep, he leaves. That's he the leaves, thing. He leaves Harry in the sand, and then he takes off in the jeep, and then he and then he goes to his house. Uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, what he does, well, we see him come back and now he's got, is this, this is when he pulls back and he's got like the, he's got the TVs and he's got the cable. He's got like, yeah, cable, how like, much cable was that? It had to have been like a quarter mile of cable that he like, yeah, like a big spool of cable, like television cable on the back of the Jeep and is spooling out obviously from his house, right you know, goes all the way from his house. So. So the guy's got money. He he's got money to burn for days. And uh, they've established that nobody around because earlier, before he got in the hole, you know, they did the you know scream. You scream all you want. Help! Help me! You know, so, the, so there's nobody. Then I love when Leslie Nielsen he screams at the top of his lungs louder than Ted Danson just to prove I, the point. Like nobody's coming. Nobody's coming for you. Nobody's coming, dude. Yeah. As a so anyway, so he sets up the TV. He pops it down in the sand, and then there's a tripod there, and he's got a camera on it. So he's got it all rigged up, and they're going back and forth. And, of course, you know, Harry's trying to deal his way out of it. Like, hey, man, I got money. You know, I got money. We can, you know, talk about this, blah, 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 blah. Right. And, uh, and. Nielsen ain't having it. Yeah, he ain't having none of it. And basically, he turns the TV on, and we see. What's her name? Um, Becca. Becca, I'm sorry. We see her. We see her face. She's already in sand up to her neck further down the beach. We never see her like that. All all we're seeing her right now is on the TV. Yes, just on the TV screen. That's the only (laughs) way we never actually like see her and buried up to her neck. But she's buried in a hole much like uh, Harry is. Right. He explains to Harry that, uh, you know, you know that he she's she's further down the beach you know he's got another setup with her in the hole so of course she's pleading for her life and she's you know crying and then of course we 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 start to realize what he's up to as the high tide starts to roll in and the poor girl oh. has the first little bits of of the water hitting her and and so now it's like you know harry gets it like oh my fucking god you know you know yeah you know, you're gonna I'm, drown us in, in the tide and I'm alive and my head is sticking out you know 
and I'm going to drown. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I love the the '80s tech, you know, with the the closed circuit cameras and you know the surveillance stuff that Leslie Nielsen has set up in his house. He loved his '80s tech, but man, that's how he set it all up. So oh, yeah. I can just get the idea, especially later on when you see his house in, in one scene, jumping a little bit ahead. But, uh, you know, when you see he's got lines and lines of tape. So it's like, at least you believe it. Has he been, you know, does he do this to everybody that wrongs him? Does he bury them in videotapes it? It just kind of yeah. makes you wonder. Well, but, yeah, that's, right. you start realizing, you know, what the hell's going to happen to them. You know that they're, that's it. I mean, they're, they're going to drown. That's it. There's no way out of this. Yeah, so basically, he leaves him there, and, uh, you know, Harry's pleading, but and that uh, the water starts to come up, and I, get the, I think that's when they say the first line about, you know, be, about holding his breath. Um, yeah, he tells him, he's like, just see how long you can hold your breath, and, you know, he's like, you know, and he's like, you feel how fast your heart is beating? How fast? He's like, that's going to make it harder for you to hold your breath now, isn't it, Harry? You know, he's right. maniacal. Right, and so it's 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 fucked up. So you know, so Harry's stuck now. Water's coming up, and then we've got Richard. going to go back to his beautiful beach house and enjoy all this stuff. He comes back, and he's got the the you know it, the house is exactly what life would be like for a rich guy in the, in nineteen eighty two. It's creature comforts of home. This would be like the the big shot like celebrity or, you know, or athlete, famous right. athlete. They would, they would have a house like this and he pushes the button. With, and like a with aquariums up. and lush furniture and Persian rugs and, you know, all sorts of yeah. insane amount of tech that nobody, you know, had seen back then. Now, I, I did think it was kind of funny, the placement of the TVs. They seem like, like the chairs and the couch and everything are over here and then, off to the side, he comes over and he's standing on the side where he's got this wall where all the it's he pushes the thing and the thing goes up and they're not really like where the couches are facing. You know, it's kind of funny, like the way this is weird. Place. But anyway, so there's like a big TV and then like three small ones, and he's watching. Uh, he can watch all this, all these, you know, everything he's got on camera. He can watch on these all here in this one big wall unit. Yeah, because he's watching, I mean, the, the, the tide rays up and starting to hit on Harry and Rebecca in diff the different places on the beach. He's watching them both, like, starting to drown at the same time. Now, the scene that I remember that really kind of fucked me up a little bit, and I think you'll agree, when they show where the water is over Ted Danson's head, and they show him kind of looking out, and he's holding his breath, and you see the seaweed around his face. And he's like, yes. he's like, you know, like he's going to, what a horror, you know, I remember. As he's just sitting there trying to hold his breath and letting out little air bubbles and he's and, just choking right. back. And, and oh. the water is not like receding at all. Like he's stuck there. Drowning. Yeah, this is not a wave now. This is complete submersion and is not. You're submerged and you're done. And it, it, it creeped me out. I remember thinking about it even after the movie. I remember that the, the look on his face. You're really a lot of me. That's like real, real fucking terror right there. Yeah, that bothered me. I mean, I remember like that really, you know, more than blood and guts and shit, that freaked me out a lot. I didn't like that. It was like, I mean, I liked it because it was in the movie, but I remember it did what it was supposed to do. It bothered me. It, it upset oh, yeah. it made me very uncomfortable. And I was watching it. I'm like, oh, 
I remember that, that his look on his face. And I remember it later on after the movie was over, I kept seeing that face. And as I could it did, did it did its job. I was uncomfortable. It, it made me uneasy. He just wants to go somewhere where everybody knows his name. <laughs> right, exactly. And there he is. And so anyway, he, yeah, and uh, he's waiting for a, uh, what's his face, Norm, to come in and pull him out. You know? Yeah. And then, that's uh, all right. <laughs> that's all right, buddy. Let's get a beer. So anyway, right. fucking, but uh, so anyway, so it's nighttime, and the uh, the rich, uh, fucking suave, fucking evil genius Richard uh, is gonna take a shower. So but before he gets in, <laughs> yeah, not, like, not the, the person you would think would have a shower scene in a movie like this, but right, you know, yeah, we'll go with it. Leslie Nielsen, I can't wait. Soap those titties up, but anyway, but, but the man moves, dude. Yeah, all right. So uh, he, uh, he he basically you get the feeling like he he's kind of look. I think even before he goes in the shower, I think he's getting this feeling like something's kind of weird. He doesn't well, he really thinks he hears he hears somebody say his name. Like yeah, like it's like almost like it's on the edge of the wind. This like that kind of mode where it's this. Like, did I hear it? Or was that a whisper? Was that was that the wind or was that the trees? But we know what's coming because we see we get that one shot before it cuts to him having his uh getting ready for his shower is the footprints that are either coming out of or going back into into the water. But either way, it can't be good for him. It's like we, we kind of know they kind of played their hand a bit early, you know, like we're gonna let you see a little bit what's maybe gonna be happening to him, but you're gonna they play it off so well because they don't show what's coming in, until that, you know, until that big reveal moment. There's that big right. reveal. So he gets in the shower, and then I think in the shower, he like cuts the shower off short, doesn't he? And he gets well, um, they activate the 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 two ghouls as they're coming in that we just catch glimpses of. They activate the that secret wall where the oh uh, yeah right the the, the, the TVs are at. And he hears that over the water. He even puts his hand over the shower head to keep the water from dripping to hear it. And he hear that's what alarms him. Right. Right. And and then he comes out, he dries off real quick. And now he's like, you know, um Well, he gets his gun and he just starts he's worried. You can tell he's worried, and he's like, you know, Harry, if that's you, he's like, you know, you best just get out of here. We'll call it even, you know. Right. right. I got the gun, dear boy. Right, yeah. Right. yeah, that was good. That dear boy, you know, yeah, I, guess, I like, have the gun, you know. He's he, it's cool because you know, he's scared shitless, but he's still being as cool as a cucumber, like you know, like he's you know, he's like still gonna be like you know, on he's, he's at least playing gonna, it cool. He's right. you know, at least playing, even it though cool. he's shitting himself, he, you know, he's yeah, he's still playing like he's in he's in control, but he's certainly not, you know, but he's got his gun, so he thinks everything's gonna be all right. <laughs> Maybe. I did make, I did make one note here though, like when you kind of catch the glimpses, everything's out of focus or in the background behind stuff, and you have that big aquarium of fish, like even the fish, like <laughs> that take the fuck off, like the, the, all of a sudden, like when they walk in, the door opens and you see the seaweed kind of dangling from their hands and from their bodies. The fish take off. The fish they fuck it. They're just gone <laughs> in their big aquarium. Like nope, nope, we ain't having none of this shit. It'd be just like in the ocean, 
Like if a yeah, shark was sure. came, they'd be like, "We're the fuck out of here, see ya." You know, like yep. they, they beat it. You know, the big dogs, the big dogs in the pool are out of here. Right, you know? no, no so, good. And so anyway, yeah. So now it's it's on. Uh, it's on. You know, and obviously, uh Well, when he opens the door, because he the big reveal is when he he hears them walking, hears the squishy footsteps, and he keeps calling out, "I got the gun! I'll shoot you! I'll shoot you dead!" You know, and then he just says, fuck it, and he hears nothing else. So he opens the door, and they're just standing there in their full, right. ghoulish, undead makeup, which it was actually Ted Danza and her, uh, I think it was Galen Ross also was uh, yeah. the, the female ghoul. They were actually in the in makeup. makeup. That's them. That's not somebody, right. And, the makeup uh, is so good. That That's why I put up here again. The makeup is all Savini at this point that this is one of his triumphs uh you know this movie has several savini triumphs in it but, but that remember, yeah i remember gasping i'm in i'm in i'm back in the theater venture theater drive-in theater with my buddies i remember when I, in the first film i was like i remember it's like it was like we're all like ah like that was scary you know they came yeah. in so fucking scary man that was like really cool you know it wasn't like they were all covered with seaweed like you know cousin it you know, they were fucking, they were like these sea zombies. You know, they just looked, they matched the ocean. You know, they were in the water. and they were, They're all waterlogged and, you know, their yeah. skin kind of looks all wrinkly and stuff. And it, it it's done so well. Oh, yeah. And, and I love it as they're stalking them through the house. They just keep telling them, you know, you can't kill us dead, Richard. You know why? Because we're already dead. And he, and he right. does, he's like, okay, these are zombies. I'm going to fucking shoot them in the head. And he shoots her in the, right between the eyes. It does right. nothing. He shoots Ted right. Danson in the face. It does nothing. They just keep coming at him. And so again, their voices are really good in that too. When they're talking to him, they're really their voices are creepy as fuck. Oh, just like in uh, the Father's Day segment, you know, with right. Grant, you know, it's very good audio work and making the voices humanoid, but just you know, monstrous enough, you know, where they're not quite human. It's really. Yeah. Audio-wise, it's really, really very good. Like, this is exactly how an undead person would talk. You know right. what I mean? It's, like, it's really scary. You know, they come at you. And, they, of. and uh, yeah, exactly. And I, I love I love what they end up doing to him. Uh, he gets his, he gets his, what they say, his, his come up and. Well, they keep saying, uh, take, we want to take you to the beach. Come on down to the beach for old time's sake, you know? Like, oh, uh, you know what they're going to do, you know, and right. you don't even have to see it happen, you know, because he thinks he's safe. He, I would love it when he throws the gun at them. They always do that. The bad guy always throws the empty right. gun at them. <laughs> he, run, he runs into his bathroom, thinks he's safe. He turns around. They're already in the room with him. So he, like, yeah. he's completely losing his shit, cackling like fucking Daffy Duck. He, he's and, losing his shit so bad. And I love the way they play it. Like, he gets in close to the door and he's listening. And we all know that they're already behind him, even though we don't right. see it. You yeah, know, you just know, you just know. There. You just know by instinct they're there, and you know. And the minute he turns around, bum, 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 there they are. And uh, and, and I love, he, yeah, he's kind of like going mad. He's like, <laughs> you know, he's like losing it. You know, he's losing I, he's it. Yeah. one like wild man. And the next shot we have is him buried in the in the sand on the beach, up to his neck, with a camera recording him with. Even seaweed hanging off of that, but the camera's still recording. So it was this 
kind of befitting that in his last moments he was getting taped is he's buried up to his thing and he's still laughing still just laughing and keeps going i can hold my breath for a long time until that first wave hits him he's cocky (laughs) it's still confident cocky like fuck you and i like it i can hold my breath for a long time and then bang the water hits him you know it's like his eyes bug out and that's it kind of bug out like oh boy and just like, yeah, he got, they got him, they got him. Well, it's know, much like, like you know, the ending of the, the Father's Day segment. You don't see what happens to Cass and Richard. You don't see what happens to him, but you pretty much know. Right. You, you know, he dies the same yeah. way. Right. He gets it. And, and that's the end of segment number three. And we're going to go right off into segment number four. Do you want to take this one? I, I, I took oh, the first great. couple. I'm great. We'll do it. I'll just play off you. I love it. Right, right on, right on. Well, we got the crate. The crate. Oh, God. Uh, I can't remember if this was based off of... Uh, I think it was based off a short story. I don't quite remember if I ever read this one. But it's, you know, it basically starts off again. It's much like the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill. The, the integral moment of the bad decision is made happens two seconds after it starts. The janitor Mike is just flipping a quarter. It goes underneath uh, a set a set of stairs that is uh, kind of cordoned cordoned off, and he you know wants to go after his quarter because this is his last quarter for the Coke machine. He was flipping it to decide which area he was going to clean, and there's the crate from eighteen uh, was it supposed to be from eighteen thirty four from the Arctic expedition. Yeah, and. <sighs> If, if, so this this is probably the most layered story, the most intricate story of of the five, because there's there's a lot of shit going on. Because there's a lot then, going on here, yeah, yeah, you know. So he finds this you know big wooden storage crate under the staircase after flipping his coin, and then he calls uh, Dexter Stanley as a college professor who's kind of got an eye for a couple of his students. He's an older guy, but you know he's got eyes for these young girls. So he's already got a reputation. But it's at this big high, highfalutin party with him and his buddy. Uh, oh, I forgot. Uh, what was it? What was his name? Uh, Hal Holbrook's character. Uh, yeah. Um, Hal oh Holbrook. gosh, Henry. 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 Henry Northrup. Henry. I kept wanting to say it was Hank, but no, that was Ed Harris. But Henry. <laughs> yeah, he he's there at a party with Dexter and all these highfalutin college people. And his wife played wonderfully by the amazing Adrian Barbeau. I love Adrian Barbeau, but she plays such a righteous bitch in this as Wilma Northrup, also AKA Billy. Billy. Yeah. Her, her line is like, oh, just call me Billy. Everyone does. And she's just, she's kind of a loud mouth. She's kind of a drunk and she's a whole lot of a bitch. She's just a mean, evil person. And I, I, I kind of love where it goes here because it kind of juxtaposes poses and you know back and forth between what's going on with the crate and what's going on with henry and his horrible marriage to billy and uh, i made a note here christine forrest who was married to george romero is the that plays a cameo in this as tabitha and uh she is the girl getting introduced to wilma and her and her husband she's getting introduced and they're they're kind of the new people on on the block so I had to mention that and that her fact, her name is Tabitha, which is also the name of Stephen King's wife. So I think that's kind of an in-joke there, right there. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, I never thought. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I'll let you, I'll let you take this part. I'll, I'll mention it right here. But we are treated at this point before Mike, the janitor, calls 
Dexter, which happens here in just a moment. But we have Hal Holbrook as Henry and his, I call it the Billy fantasy time. And um, maybe you want to take this one. I, I'm sure you got all sorts of things to say about well, the Billy it, fantasy. It's cool because Billy, she's already drunk. She's at this party. She's loud. And, you know, everybody there is, it's their highfalutin intellectuals. Society type people. So, right. And, and that is not how you act, you know, at one of those parties. And, of course, she's bringing all kinds of attention to herself that Hal Holbrook, uh, uh, um, Henry, does not like. And it's, embar- he's, it's embarrassing the shit out of him. And, of course, she's, you know, she's talking to people and kind of taking over conversations and just being loud. And, and, of, and you know, she's obviously inebriated. And, and she treats him like shit. She treats him like complete shit. Right. She denut. He's totally denuded. I mean, he's just fucking, he's just a worm, you know, of a dude. Yeah. Just like, he just takes the abuse and, you know, he does you know, and, and basically. Takes just, abuse and keeps his mouth shut. Right. So, uh, uh, basically in the kind of goes back and forth, uh, like you said, it's kind of like all kinds of stuff. You got, uh, you got Stanley, um, Dexter Stanley, um, and, yeah, and kind of doing his thing, kind of doing his thing with uh, the co with uh, you know hobnobbing around and rubbing elbows, and and then you've got Billy who's being obnoxious, and then you got Hal Holbrook, uh, uh, you got Henry there he's standing, just trying to like he's just standing like at he's the just, farthest fringe edge of the party, trying to not even be noticed. He's nodding politely, like okay. Like, you know, like, you know, like everybody's looking at him like, you know, like, get your, shut your fucking wife up, dude. But they're not saying that. But, you know, like everybody, it's, it's a real, you, you feel very embarrassed for him, you know. Right. And, uh, and so he has, these, <laughs> he has these cool. I, know, I love it. I love it. I love it. Is, is the first one now, is that the one where he's, he like, they're getting ready. I think they're getting ready to leave, right? Like at this point. And then, well, like, yeah, but, but she's like, she's talking to the, the, the new couple about something, and he's he just fantasizes where he says, yeah. Oh, Billy, and he pulls out that big, right. like, he pulls his big magnum, the dirty, hairy special, yeah, the dirty, yeah, he pulls out the dirty, hairy special and just fucking blasts her. <laughs> well, because she turns to him, and she's like, Oh, what the fuck is wrong now? And then he blows her brain down, g- right. gory, gory, gruesome shot, Savini style. And he's just like, no, nah, nothing's wrong, Wilma. Everything's just fine. And then everybody starts clapping and people start saying, wonderful shot, bullseye. <laughs> you know? I mean, they're all like, you know, and it's a cool scene because obviously it's just a, a fantasy is. But, you know, it's still, again, we're back to great effects. You know, great Tom Savini effects and stuff. And and that bullet, when it hits her in her head, I mean, it looks legit, dude. Yeah. And boom, she gets hit with this thing. And I love it. That I love that it isn't like people are like all oh, oh my god I love they played it like they look all cool like like a bunch of rich people I didn't give a fuck anyway about anybody like you just do like I don't know like like look like oh hmm, bravo you know like just you know you shot think, my man ah, but, 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 <laughs> superb you know, you know and it's just funny and then it comes back to reality and she's there and um, insulting him denutting him even further. Right, you know, and he's just, you know, being humiliated and taking it. Uh, now, at this point, they have, they're getting ready to leave at this point, but then we kind of cut back to 
uh, the janitor, Mike, he's, he's got, he's got, I'm getting a little confused here in the story. Well, then, he, uh, he calls the party because after that, uh, Henry uh, breaks away from the party, starts talking with Dexter, and the maid shows up and asks, hey, is one of you Dexter Stanley? He's like, yeah, I am. And he's like, well, there's a phone call for you. And then right. he takes the phone call and, uh, you know, at first he's like, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's probably just a, you know, a big crate full of National Geographics, which it turns out to not be a crate full of National Geographics. <laughs> But when he tells them that it's from, he says something about an Arctic expedition in 1834, and he was just like, as a professor, he's like, ooh, like, you know, this might be something worth investigating. So he books from the party, and, you know, he was supposed to be, like, uh, playing poker with uh, Henry and the rest of the guys, but he's like, nope, nope, I'm not going, I'm, no, I'm going to go check this out. And that's where, you know, uh, it, it it goes back to the to the college. And, you know, they start investigating. They, you know, get underneath there and everything. They pull the crate out. They manage to carry it. I mean, it's, and it's a huge crate, and it looks like it's heavy as hell. But when they go, they set it on the the table to start investigating it. That's when uh, Mike's like, something moved in there. Like, something shifted on its own. And even, like, uh, Dexter even makes the joke, and he's like, well, I'm pretty sure after, like, what, 147 years, if there were any specimens in there, they wouldn't be too lively, and they right. couldn't, he couldn't be more fucking wrong. Right. And they got the crowbar in there, and they're basically both kind of grunting and grinding, and they're wedging the nails and everything, yeah. Right, and they're they're getting in there, they're, they're, they're wedging it up so the nails come up, and then they pop the lid back down, and now the nails are popped up, now they're pulling the nails off, and they're, they're getting this thing, and then uh that's when uh at this point you know we we know something's bad at that point when the we something chirping it almost sounds like a fucking squirrel like at first you know like a like a i i i remember when i first saw this i had no idea what it was going to be but like i'm mean, like wow that shouldn't be there shouldn't be any noises coming from there and i'm like and what we get next is just what looks like a big fanged Tasmanian devil type creature that comes out, grabs Mike's arm, tears his arm that shreds, knocks the crate over, almost kills Mike then and there from knocking him in the head. And then it just, when it that lid pops open and you get that reveal, and then get, again, we get some more of that Suspiria type lighting, you right. know, the reds and the greens. This thing is fucking horrifying. And the funny yeah. thing is they called it Fluffy on set. That was the name for the for the puppet. That they had created on really? Fluffy. Fluffy. Oh, I, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> but this thing is this got rows and rows of teeth it's for days. Rows of teeth. It's basically it's a. It looks like this big kind of this gorilla. Uh, in fact, there's a shot before he comes out. I think they show just his eyes, and that kind of sets you up, kind of like you know, you're like what almost the looks f- demonic. You know, like yeah, I said, it's like between a, a gorilla and a Tasmanian devil or something. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like a hybrid between the two, and then the, it's the mouth that is terrifying even the most. I mean, it's just the, the rows of teeth. It's very grotesque, and and uh, basically, uh, poor Mike is, you know, Who? he's got his arm kind of stuck in there, and he's kind of hanging half out of it. And of course, Dexter doesn't know what the fuck to do, and Mike what basically would you gets, do. What, what would you do? Yeah, I don't know. He'd probably stand there just like look at it, like what are like what the fuck, you know. And then, uh, so poor Mike gets kind of pulled up into it, and basically 
they do a real cool thing with the blood. Like as he's being pulled out, more blood is coming down his clothes. So the more he's pulled in, more blood is kind of running down his shirt into his pants. And then, you know, and then it's, and it's, it's like, he's being kind of devoured. Yeah. Like like inside this thing, just completely eaten bit by bit as he's disappearing into the box. He's literally disappearing into this things like belly. So he, he gets, yeah. So he basically sucks Mike in and, and basically devours him. Uh, and then now you've got, uh, you've got uh, Dexter who's basically losing his shit as anybody would. He doesn't right. really know what to do. Um, he doesn't make it very far. He, he tries to run. He gets up, uh, gets upstairs and he runs into a, uh, a grad student. Right. And I think that's who uh, Charlie Gerson was. Yeah, well, he could at first, you know, it, yeah, he's like trying to get, like, I, I think, I think he gets accused of being drunk or something. Like, well, what's the matter with you, you know, or whatever. It's like, you know, been off on a hell of a toot. Yeah, you're right, exactly. Yeah. Looks like you've been on a hell of a toot. And uh, you know, so he, he he talks his poor kid, to, his grad student, to coming back. And uh, I think, uh, what what are they? Does 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 he only have the crate back down under the stairs, or does he, does the kid help him pull the crate in? What? No, no. In the meanwhile, while he's trying to talk to to Charlie, they do a shot where the uh, creature Fluffy is pushing the crate back down the hallway. So by the time they get back downstairs, when uh, Dexter gets downstairs with Charlie Gearson. There's the big trail of blood. There's blood everywhere. And of course, at first he thinks, you know, Dexter killed somebody that he did it. And then he points. He's like, look, he's like the blood leads underneath the uh, the stairs. He even has the line. He's like he put he, it must have pushed the crate back under the stairs where it felt safe for so long. So it's kind of like weird that this demonic fucking creature was just like, yeah, I don't feel safe being out in the open here. I'm going to climb back in my crate, push it and push it back down under the stairs and climb back in. Which I thought was really interesting. So why uh, he gets now? Now the they they find the crate underneath there, and then for some reason, what the, it seems like Dexter, like he's got the, the kid, like go goes up to this thing, you know, dangerously close. You because know, he like, wants to get the shoe. Because he says, "I want to measure the bite marks." Like right, he wants to measure the bite marks. That's it. He get, they see the shoe, and that's why he's getting up close. And of course, so he wants to get this thing, and and of course that 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 was a very bad mistake. And the yes. poor kid, he turns around and uh, he gets the same thing as Mike got. Yeah, he basically gets eaten and starts getting bitten and clawed. And uh, when they when he takes that when Fluffy takes that big bite out of the side of his neck, is so meaty. That's so really bloody. good. Yeah, and again, great Savini effects. Nobody did splatter like that, man. Oh but, man. Yeah. Then Dexter is more, even more so, losing his shit. He runs out of the place while the creature drags uh, Charlie's body underneath to further devour. But instead of going to the cops, he goes to his buddy Henry, who right. or, or Harry. I'm sorry. He goes to Harry and uh, no Henry, Henry, Norman. Henry. I might keep getting the names mixed up. There's so many, so many H names. There's Harry. There's Hank. There's Henry. It's Henry. There we go. My bad. But uh, we also didn't mention that in the meanwhile, uh, Adrian Barbeau, Billy Wilma had uh, further. uh, I can say denudded poor um, 
Henry. Poor Henry. You know, so he, he's getting ready to, you know, have his his poker night, and she's just yelling at him to clean this, do that. You're such an idiot. You're just a child. What would you do without me? And then he has a moment where he fantasizes about strangling her with his necktie. And he, it's like, yeah, he puts something around, and it's almost like it's really happening. You know, like, and he's like, like finally right. snap this time, right? But no, he just fantasized. And it's another fantasy, you know, like, because that one seems like kind of legit, the way they do play it off. Like, okay, he's right. a sad enough. You know, like, any anybody would snap at this point and kill this bitch. Uh, so, and then, uh, uh, I, I like this. This is, this is, well, it's 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 not a big thing at first, but it's funny because I'm gonna make a little mental note of, uh, on something that I'll, I'll let you know. And it was kind of funny. So she's dr- been drunk all fucking night. And she's still fucking drunk, and uh, she goes in and there's a, there's the point. The, what's the point where she goes into the kitchen and she gets a glass of milk? Well, this is after Dexter shows up because Dexter shows up and convinces you know tells uh, Harry the story. And you can tell that Harry is hatching a plan right off the bat, and he writes a little note. Well, he knocks Dexter out by slipping a Mickey into his drink, and you can kind of see the wheels turning. You can kind of see what what he's doing here. But, uh, you know, he he knocks Dexter out. They're up in his study, so he locks him in, leaves uh, Billy a note, and then that's when Billy gets home and nobody is there. she's, She's screaming at him the minute she comes in the door. Right. And, and yeah, yeah, she makes she makes it a very peculiar peculiar drink. I, I, I don't I don't I don't I don't get I don't get the 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 drink with the milk. <laughs> well, she 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 does the milk, but then later on in the story, there's no big deal with the milk. She just has the milk, but then what? The, I'm I'm getting a little lost here. Right? I'm, I'm trying to remember <laughs> what. Uh, they, so basically, uh, what what uh, Henry wants to do is basically put Stanley out of commission. And yeah, what so he's kind of out of the way. She right, he's kind of in the way like he's got to be like out for a while. This is Henry's plan. She finds a note that was planted for her to find uh that basically tells a little big some phony backstory about what uh, that something that that Dexter had told Henry, and she believes that this is something that she's got that she's reading about, that Dexter has been doing all this kind of uh, stuff and that he did this horrible thing to a, a young college grad student, this young girl. Right. And so what? It, and so she's reading the thing, drinking this milk, which is funny. She's drinking this glass of milk, and she's laughing like, oh, fuck, you know, like, it's kind of like, you know, like, yeah, you know, this stuff that he did to this girl is really horrible. And, and you know, she's here and she's, you know, she's, you know, we need to help her. And, you know, it's this whole setup. Basically, well, he sets it up and he's like, only you can help her, Billy. Only you can help her. Right, only you can help. So basically, Henry is setting it up so Billy will come to the down to the college. And uh, so she does. Now, here's a little funny thing I keep bringing up about the fucking milk. <laughs> so anyway, she's drunk. She's in the car. You can tell like, she's still buzzed from whatever earlier, and she's just being obnoxious as she, she drives. She pours food in the milk. She pours something that looks like rum in the milk, so she's okay. still... Okay, well, I, I just thought it was funny. Maybe that's why, in my head, I kept thinking just the milk. But it's so funny that she's down there, 
when she's when she's there <laughs> at the college and she's still walking around with this milk in her hand like i don't like who would bring milk with you like you know like i don't know it just i, I just thought it was kind of funny like she's you know well, she was that, still drinking she had poured booze into it so like i and, think yeah oh you know, make like a white russian or something like that yeah, i don't I know that would make more sense i just thought it was funny when she's walking around like we i don't know the glass of milk have you ever left your house with a glass of milk in your hand ever in your life? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, I, 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 left, I, was, I, I never left of, my house with a glass of milk or a mixed drink in my hand while I was I driving. I thought it was funny, the milk, you know, when she's walking around, like, you know, I, I just thought it was kind of funny. But anyway, it's a good setup because. Yeah, because, of like, in the voiceover, he's telling her, I need you to come out here and even placates her ego of. You know, as you always say, you know, what would I do without you? You know, I, I need you for this while he's cleaning up all the blood. He's cleaning up all the mess to cover up any trace of wrongdoing so he can get her down there. Right. And just I, 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 a note I made, I'm like, it's an elaborate plan. Likely would not work because I doubt that he would have the time to do everything that he needed to do. But, you know, more power to Harry. Right. Henry. Sorry. Right. It's a little far-fetched about cleaning up all that blood, but uh, but again, this is a kind of a wild tale. This is, I think, the right. wildest of them all. And uh, and uh, so you know, he gets it all cleaned up. She gets down there, and of course, you know, this is where he he lures her over to where. Well, she's over here, and it's like you know, he she's under the stairs. You know, like you know, yeah, you know, he like he starts laughing. He's, he has to turn away from her and he starts laughing. That's what, and he has to kind of cover for himself. And he's like, well, you got to see, she's curled up underneath like a baby. You know, that's what's so funny. You, you'll see when you get under there, Billy, you know, but he's like, oh, he can't, he, it's like, he can't believe himself that he's doing this. Right. So it works. You know, he gets her underneath there. And then, uh, I, I love it, the scene they have where he's just grabbing her and he kind of tosses her underneath. He just, <laughs> kind of gets set up. She's not moving fast enough for him, so he throws her under there, starts bang, banging her up, again, grabbing her by the arms, and slamming her up against the the crate. And it's like, tell it to call you Billy, you bitch. Come on, wake up wherever you are. She's like, I'll scream. He's like, here, I'll scream for you. He's like, wake up, wake up wherever you are. And then he kind of gets demasculated a, a little bit because all of a sudden he's just like, fuck, nothing's happening. Right, uh, plan's not going to work. And then of course. She goes on one of her tirades, and I think it was her uh, her her voice. Uh, the sound it, of that, her voice, it woke him up. Woke up Fluffy, and then she comes out and eats them. And I love his, like her reaction to everything is so genuine. It's like I, I, I would have been willing to bet that she had not seen Fluffy up until that moment because her reaction to it was so good. But I love it as he's watching. He's, just, he's kind of disgusted, but he's just like, oh, just tell it to call you Billy. You know, it's a great, great line. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I bet you're right on that. I bet they did not show her the thing. I mean, you feel, I've, I've, I've seen, we've all seen stuff like that where they didn't see, like, a lot of the people didn't see the killer until it was time to see it, so it would freak them out more. Right, yeah. Right, seeing this fucking puppet comes up, you know, she's probably like, ah! like, what the <laughs> fuck? She, she probably got a good laugh. There's probably some good outtakes there, you know. Oh, I bet. I did have to make a note that this there is a little bit of a, a reunion in this movie with our two characters, Hal Holbrook and Adrian Barbeau, because the previous year or two years before they had starred in The Fog. So it was kind of a little bit of a, yeah. a little bit of a the Fog reunion. But yeah, yep. 
You're right. Kind of off off sub- subject in here, but uh. So then, now, yeah. poor Billy is is dead. So now Fluffy is eating three people. Yeah, and you know they're inside the case. He's eating them. He's in Fluffy's belly. She's in Fluffy's belly. And Hal Holbrook now is going to get Henry uh, is going to continue on with his plan. He basically it's kind of like a uh, uh, does, do they does he go back home first and talk to Dexter or do they just show him? Oh, no, it's kind of playing with time because then in voiceover you get Henry talking to Dexter, telling him what he's doing. He's like, you, you provided the last piece of your puzzle, the puzzle yourself He's at the bottom of the quarry. Because he, he puts the chains on, he locks it back up, and uh, takes the crate, drives it out to the quarry, and dumps it in the water. You know, but he's telling, like, that story to Dexter while they're showing him doing it. So right, I think, like, right. at that point, it's the next morning, but they were kind of, you know, they're playing with time a little bit. They're playing with the timeline. But, yeah, he doesn't go back home. He doesn't go back home until he... Uh, Puts the crate over the edge. Oh no! Yeah, no, I, I know he already threw. He already put it in that night. But I think I didn't remember if he went home and then they showed that. But yeah, they did it uh, in flashback form with the voiceover. So basically, the 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 crate is now submerged. They're talking. Uh, what's happening? So they basically they they've talked about everything. It's it's getting toward the. Pretty much the end of their conversation of explaining what's going on, and then of course, it kind of basically ends up where we know what's going to happen. They show the crate down in the water. And, well, it's uh, a great line because he's like, you know, what if it gets out? And he's like, it won't. Right. And five seconds later, it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it won't get out if you saw the way. Right, it, right. It won't. It's like, don't worry about it. Relax. No. Right. And yeah, then, worry about it. Don't relax. <laughs> and Fluffy gets out, and then that's where that ends. Yeah, and I love how it ends with them playing chess, and he's just like, you know, can I keep, count on you to keep quiet about this, Dexter? And he's like, oh, yeah, of course. And he's like, but now I'm going to expect to beat your ass at chess uh, twice a week for the rest of our lives. And he's like, well, right. we'll see about that. They're just back to being good friends, you know, and that's the end of it. Again, is another one that you could have ended so much differently, but. It didn't. It lets you know that the old Fluffy is out there somewhere. I think that's the thing. All these things, like they got it's it's left open, obviously on purpose. Like, like what you know, like it's not you know nothing's over in these stories. You know, what I mean, like like there's no happy ending to this one. They're playing chess. Like they think they got away with it. Heath and Henry thinks he got away with it, and you know, and everybody's fucking all happy. But you know, if the story continued. It's on Fluffy's back. Yep. And it'd be bad. Oh, well, and then we got our fifth and final tale. Uh, this is the one that makes me, uh, is, it, it's not my favorite of, of, this, of the series, but uh, it's the one that makes me squirm the most because I, I don't like cockroaches. But this is one that they creep up on you. And oh God, as our anthologies go, this is such a, like, it's a good character study. M- much like the lonesome death of Jody Verrill was, but this one is uh, Upson Ups Pratt. Uh, Upson Pratt is a God, piece of shit, no good businessman trading stocks and uh, with his company Pratt International. 
and he had just uh, it, it opens up with that music on the jukebox that I noted was the same song that plays at the end of Evil Dead. Yeah, and and it came out like two years before, so I don't know if that was meant to be as a wink and a nod to it or something, but it it works. It it, it was it was it was a good kind of old timey music that just fit for his his whole apartment. You know, he's in this apartment that's very sterile. Everything's very white and serene. Everything's polished stainless steel and just beautiful white porcelain everywhere. But he is such a piece of shit. Uh, E.G. Marshall, again, this is a, a segment who he's essentially the only actor in it. You know, you get a couple little bits and pieces, some voices of other people, and you get the, uh, the, uh, oh, let, help me here. <laughs> the, the guy in charge of the, the apartment complex Dave or whatnot. Really uh, they call him as White, Mister White. Just Mister White, right? Yeah, he's like the he's like the uh, yeah he's in charge of uh, the, the, or whatever. <laughs> like super, yeah, for lack of a better word, yeah, he's in charge of the upkeep of the of the building. But this one is is probably the most simple of of the stories, you know. And I'm not don't mean that in a bad way, but it plays on a fear that I think a lot of people have is you know fear of bugs or reptiles or things like that because he is just i i think of all the movies this the 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 well we're gonna get to it obviously but i think i think cockroaches this this for some reason certain scenes in here like when i think of this movie and as a whole like what these are (laughs) some of the scenes in this like come back to me rather quick oh yeah it's uh Basically, he's sealed in this like hermetically sealed apartment that's completely supposed to be germ free, and of course, he is just a piece of shit businessman who was ruthless. He didn't care. He's the head well, of a. He essentially drives a man to suicide, didn't he? Didn't he fire fire the fella? Uh, I forgot the character's name, but uh, oh, Cat Meyer. Matt Cassin Meyer, you're right. And he right. he fires him, and then he goes, you know, he goes and kills himself, and he's this. Kind of like doesn't give a shit. T- totally doesn't give a shit. He makes a joke about it. You know, he plays it off like it ain't no big thing. Right. It's like business. Like, you know, oh, well, you know, you, you couldn't handle it. You know, and so he fucking. And what, what, how we hear about that is <clears throat> basically the interaction from the outside world is on his phone is, is you know, he's talking and he's hearing people. Uh, he's talking like on some sort of voice thing, like a community. It's like he's not like an intercom kind of thing. thing. It's like an intercom. So his wife is explaining, you know, what what happened to her husband and what he did, and he's basically just fluffs it off. He doesn't give a shit. But in between all the people that he's, you know, basically he's he keeps looking at these numbers, like stock numbers, like little printouts, like that are coming up on like ticker tape. Yep, and that's all he cares about is his money. That's all. It's all about the money. You don't give a fuck. It's like that's your problem. You know, he's gonna just step whoever he needs to step over. He's this old curmudgeon with the his hair's all fucking, you know, fucking messy, and he looks, you know, fucking. He's just in a robe, and he's walking around, and well, he's like a total germaphobe, a right. total germaphobe, he's, which he's, is obvious by his apartment. <laughs> and the thing is, <clears throat> what's happening to the guy is he, he, even though this place is supposed to be sealed off, every once in a while, it kind of just keeps building tension. You know, you'll see a cockroach, and he's got a can of spray, and he goes over and. You know, of course, he's getting pissed off that they shouldn't be in there. So he sprang him, and then you know he's like, you know, he's grossed out by the by the cockroach, you know, made this way. And 
he's got this little cool little thing where it's like a little like a little vacuum thing. He pushes a button and it sucks stuff down in there. So he's putting stuff, he's putting stuff in this hole and sucking it down, and so it goes down this like you know pneumatic tube kind of thing. You know, just just pipe. <clears throat> and um, he's, he's basically the conversations he's having was just with just with different people. You know, there, right. there's different, different people that work people. for him, and then the widow of the lady, you know, of the man that he drove to suicide, who he doesn't care anything about her. Her, you know, he's making fun of her when he's like mock playing the violin while she's like, his eyes were so dead, and he's like mocking her while she can't see him. It's great, E.G. Marshall. He's such a, just a cranky old fart, but I love him. He's great. I mean, he, he's got the look. Great he looks like a guy like that. Like that's exactly how you would picture. Some an eccentric up. billionaire to, to look right. like. That's exactly what he would look like and sound like. I mean, you know, it's, so it's, it was perfect. So he's in there, and of course, <clears throat> the city. You know, he can look out. He's got windows. He can see over the city, and you know, there's a storm going on, and there's all kinds of shit happening. And 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 as the story is going along, and he's interacting with these different. He's getting pissed off. He, you know, they're they're trying to get somebody to come out to look at this roach problem again, and he's getting mad. He's not getting instant results. He has an interaction with Mister White, which is the super, comes to check on him. He's at the door, and he's and he's he goes back and forth with him a little bit, and they're trying to yeah, get. He never opens back. the door to even like talk to him. He just talks to him through the little porthole in the door. Right, you just Very see like somebody's mouth and eye. Like, yeah, right. <clears throat> he, he won't open the door. And uh, so <clears throat> Mr. White's trying to help him out. Uh, you know, they're trying to find somebody who's going to come out and take care of these roaches. And it just keeps, it just keeps basically just now. And then he sees another more cockroaches, right? And then he's talking to somebody else. And it just, it, it, it just keeps building and building. They just keep showing up more and more. And then they show up in his food. He makes kind of like an oat brand. I don't know what he was making. It was kind of like an oat bran sort of oatmeal type thing. And then he's got the, the, the roaches were in his food. So he was eating them, which is just kind of gross. As he, you realizes, out. he realizes that he opens up the thing where he, you know, blended the stuff and he's scooping around in there and he sees like a cockroach body. And <laughs> That's so, gross. You know, so it's just like, Oh my God, it's like your worst nightmare with bugs in general. <clears throat> and then you the cat, but the catalyst though the catalyst of the situation is when there's like the citywide blackout so all his like defense systems of his little pneumatic tubes and his cleaning system and everything is threatened because not, now he's got nothing left to, you know as a last stand of defense against them they start coming from everywhere they start coming out of the the vents they start coming from the grates you know they they come out of the pneumatic tube that you know, that he was using, and they just are coming from everywhere, hundreds of them. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's made. So at this point, he's got no choice. He runs to, like, a panic room, uh, which has got, like, like, clear doors so you can see. And he closes, and he closes up inside this thing, and now he's in there. And, of course. <laughs> he's pretty cocky for a minute, for about a whole minute. Yeah, like, he thinks he's, he's. You know, it's because it's about winning with him. You know, he's winning and he's in there, you know, and he's, he's showing everybody and he's in there. And of course, it just keeps getting worse, worse. And they're coming out now by the thousands, you know, through the roof, the roof, you know, inside the ceiling, all over the floor. 
And then, yeah, he, he basically, and they don't even really kill him, I don't think. I think he drops of a heart attack. Yeah, he basically, he's, he basically, you know, he's had enough of it. And yeah. it drives him to a heart attack. So he has a heart attack. And this scene is, I remember watching this scene when he falls back over and then the music is building, it's getting worse and more crazy. I mean, it, it's really is a brilliant the way it looks. He's on the fucking, he's, he's sitting there and he's on his back. And then you see his clothes kind of fluttering, not from him breathing, but like shit's, on, you know. Moving underneath his clothes. Mm-hmm. Right. And they start to come through his skin. And all of a sudden you see the skin split up and then his mouth is open. And of course it's, you know, uh, obviously a dummy, but this awesome looking dummy, it looks like him, you know, just like him. He's laying yeah, like it is kind of right. obvious, like when they when they first show him, it's obvious that it, it's that it's uh, the actor. But then when it switches to the point where the skin starts to burst, you can kind of tell it's a dummy. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we know it's a dummy. But we, you know, it looks, you know whatever. they did a great job, and it looks beautiful. But that scene, then when they pull back, and then they all all these thousands and thousands, not CGI roaches, real fucking roaches. Coming up as I love about this, this you, you, there's no replacing, you know, this the real thing. And I think I remember reading uh, from an interview with uh, Romero that he said that was the most expensive thing on. They spent thousands and thousands of dollars like on all those roaches because they think even back then the roaches cost 50 cents or something like that a piece. And there's thousands of them. They, I think Tom Savini said there was 20,000 of them. They had to. Have, they had like twenty thousand. Uh, I, I read something because they 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 said that there was a some some things. I don't know if this is true or not because I couldn't see where they were. But they said when they were trying to make the floors and that look more like coverage. Yeah, yeah, to get they, more they, yeah, more. They had they had, they had they had raisins and stuff that they were had out there. They kind of looked like more. Buggage, but I everything every shot I saw looked like real roaches running. So I don't know yeah. if that's true or not. But that thing. Well, I'm sure they used some tricks to, when they filled that panic room. You know, they probably had some things underneath that top layer, but there was still oh, thousands sure. and thousands of them crawling everywhere. But that was the interesting part about that is that when they finally pull back that final shot and they're showing him, he's basically. It's a shot from outside where where his desk is, looking in the panic room, and then it, it, and it's completely filled up to about three, two to three feet deep with cockroaches, and he's buried underneath it. And there's no more cockroaches in the in the other room. So yeah, they they're all in there, or, or was it all in his mind? And they came out of his body, you know, because he's such a filthy piece of shit. And they all came out. They weren't all over his apartment. They were just inside the fucker. He died, and they all came out. I don't know. I like that they came from within, that they were part of his darkness, his inner darkness, because he's a yeah. dark character. He's up some he just, as a piece of shit. <laughs> it's like that one Twilight Zone where everybody's, like, so angry and shitty, and, like, the world goes dark. And it's all the hatred made the world go dark. Right, right. I remember that one. Yeah, well, this is, like, I think it's, like, like these cockroaches weren't running all over his house to begin with. They were all inside of him. Like, you know, like that's how I thought. Because when you're looking at the panic room, they're all inside that room contained all over him, you know, two or three feet deep. Yep. And not a single and, one is outside. 
not a single one outside. So I think that was the meaning of this, what it came out of him. Like he was such a piece of shit that he, that, that this, you know, he, all these things, all these cockroaches, his worst fear manifested out of him. And I think that's what that meant because they weren't in the rest, the rest of the apartment. Like we were showing in the beginning. I think that was what he was thinking he was seeing. And he's running around trying to get rid of these roaches and they weren't there. They were in his head. And then when he finally had his heart attack and died, and they, they, you know, it all manifested. That was, that, kind that's of released. Very poetic. <laughs> that's what I thought. That's what, because you know, I remember the first thing, like, where are they? They're not in the rest of the place, but they're all in there. So I think that's, that was what I was thinking. But yeah, that's the end of that one. And they pull back. And of course, it's, you know, I mean, that was, that scene with him, the cockroach coming on there, that's, that's an iconic shot. And I'll never forget that. And then and again, we owe we owe that to the, the maestro Savini. He was yeah. the, the man at that time, man. He just so yeah. good. He, I mean, he was, you know, he had. I mean, they were firing in all cylinders in this movie with all the shit they were doing the, through the effects and everything. It's, it's, you know, and uh, it's, 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 uh, you know. But we're not done. We're at, not now done we're because we got the bit of the the wraparound story. That's the end of our fifth chapter, but we got a wraparound. Yes, now we're we back do. to uh, our dad of the year, Tom Atkins, also part of the the Fog Reunion alumni. Right. Uh, yep. But uh, it, before that, we get a little cameo from Savini himself as one of the two garbage men. Right. Uh, down the street, it's the next morning, they're emptying the trash, and he finds uh, the Creepshow comic that old daddy-o threw away. And then they're going through and like, hey, tired of getting sun. Sands, you know, kicked in your face. Yeah. Hey, look at these X-ray glasses, and they're a couple of goofy guys. They're, you, you know, most of the time when they portray, you know, the garbage men, they're always vile and kind of vulgar. But they're kind of fun-loving and just guys having some fun with each other. I'm like, hey, let's send out for this authentic voodoo doll. And it's like, and see, he points out, oh no, look, somebody already sent for it. And then it cuts back inside the house, which there, I made a note here of something that I never noticed as a kid. But I know I noticed it like many years later when I saw it as a young adult. Well, you know, the dad, Tommy Atkins, is having a kind of a grumpy morning. His neck's hurting. And he's this. uh, she's like, yeah, it must have been a hell of a storm last night. The mother does. And little bit Billy has plans for dad. But when the mom right before the, the dad starts, you know, to get those sharp pains in his neck, I noticed something, you know, but I probably didn't notice until I was 14, 15, maybe 16 as a younger, you know, uh, early teenager, was that the, as she's ironing his shirt, she notices a chunk of the shirt is missing, and she gets kind of nervous and throws the shirt into the laundry, like, afraid the dad is going to notice that his, one of his favorite shirts is messed up, but when they cut the shot of little Joe Hill, or little Billy, with the voodoo doll, it's wrapped in a piece of the dad, the dad's missing shirt piece. Yeah, he, yeah they yeah. got. Yeah, he's got a piece of the those voodoo dolls. Like they have a, well, a get personal the, item. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, they got to have a personal thing from that person. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I never noticed that as a kid. It was always lost on me. Is I was like, oh, he just had a voodoo doll, and it was supposed to be his dad. But he just vicious little <laughs> bastard. He's like, I'll teach you to throw away my comic books and keep stabbing his dad in the neck. Well, what's and, cool is at first. The dad, you know, Tom Atkins, uh, uh, um, Stan Hopkins, uh, he gets up. He's, yeah, the pains are getting worse. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, I got this pain in my neck, you know, shit. And next thing you know, he's up. And, of course, 
it's getting worse and we realize and then they, he's he's grabbing his neck and the wife oh my god you know and he's holding his neck and of course it's really increasing yeah and that's when we get to see we get to see billy and uh you know and he's like really going to town on this <laughs> i love that line at the very end he's like ready for another shot dad yeah. you know <laughs> it ends on that, that freeze frame of he gets yeah yeah, you learn not to Free throw away your damn kids' comic. That's it. Don't throw away the comic books, Dad. You should have just read it and gave it back to him. And, right. Uh, and uh, but uh, that's good. They freeze frame on Billy, and it goes back to comic book form. And mm. uh, then uh, that's it. The uh, the creep. Uh, the oh, the the our creeper dude. He's holding the comic book, and Billy's on the cover of the comic book. Yeah. Now Billy's on the cover. He's his own He's story now his own story and he laughs and then the candle blows out and the film ends and there's creep show yeah and then and a little side note billy makes a, a bit of a cameo in part two because the creep show comic uh shows up and billy is of course on the cover uh yeah. but yeah that's the that's the end of our our little anthology here now i i love this movie we as much as we've talked about it uh here tonight I think it's apparent that the two of us have a lot of love for it, but I got to ask, what is your favorite segment of the, of the anthology? Um, I, I, I really like, I like all of them. There are things about each one that I liked. Uh, I think probably, I think the overall, the best one is probably something to tide you over. I think <laughs> that might be, but I got to tell you, Father's Day, I really liked that a lot because I really liked, uh, I really liked the, the you know, uh, the monster in that, you know, Nathan Grantham's, you know, when he comes back, his undead form. I really liked that a lot. Um, and it was really creepy and scary. And of course, you know, the Bedelia whole thing and the, my cake, you know, where's my cake, Bedelia? And then he's got the, and then the head at the end. I mean, that was fucking really good, man. Uh, I, I loved the Jody, uh, the lonesome death of Jody Vero because not just because of Stephen King, but because he did such an awesome job. It was really fun. It was really kind of a he did. It was really kind of sad, really the whole story, but it was funny too, and it was pretty creepy thinking that that vegetation is going to now cover the earth and kill us all. Um, that one was pretty much ended with a biblical sort of Armageddon. Right. The crate is cool. It's, it's it's a little wild. It kind of goes all over, but it's really cool. And 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 of course, uh, our little fluffy there, uh, our our monster is really cool and really kills him. Really does a cool death stuff. Uh, the creeping up on you again with the the cockroaches and just that scene of them coming him coming them coming out of his mouth. But I'm gonna probably go with something to tide you over. I think I'm gonna vote for that. If I had to pick one. That was probably my favorite. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that one. Uh, that's the same one I had had on my list. Uh, ah, all right, cool. You know, mostly because it plays off a real fear. You know, I mean, like a real genuine fear that of being buried alive. That just oh, is so God, effective. Yeah. And to be quite honest, Leslie Nielsen makes it. I love Liz, Leslie Nielsen as an actor, as a comedian. But man, he is. This is the role that I always think of when I think of him. I don't even think of Naked Gun. You know, but it's just and it's filled with some of those great Savini creature effects. I mean, they're 
every every sequence has a great Savini creature effect. We got Grantham and Father's Day. You got Jordy Verrill at the end of his segment, and you got Fluffy in the crate. You got the creature, you know, the, the the roaches, and they're creeping up on you. I mean, there's there's something about each one. Each one is just so awesome in its own way. Each one, like I think. You know, Father's Day as a kid was my favorite because it was just like a, it was kind of like you said, it was wild and it was crazy. But uh, something that tied you over is just the one that always sticks with me is the one that just feels like some, there's just fingers going down your spine while you're watching it. You know, it yeah, just absolutely it's so creepy. And God, you know, some of the big, uh, the, 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 the big scares of, of that is just the reveal of what, uh, to, to Richard when his you know when uh Ted Danson and Galen Ross are revealed in all their makeup is this such a fucking jump. You know, I have to hold on to my popcorn pretty tight when, when that scene comes on. Right. <laughs> well I'm I'm pretty sure I can probably guess where your rating is gonna come in, but why don't you go ahead and give us your rating on a scale from one to ten, sir? Oh without a doubt this is a this is one of my tens. Uh I, this will be the uh I mean, if, if anything deserves a 10, this one does. And uh, I'm giving it a solid, rock-solid 10. Um, it is one of my favorite movies. I love, you know, I, you know, we can sit here all day and pick our favorite movies and, and all that stuff and talk about them. And they're all great in their own way. But this movie in particular stands out. It's uh, just, a, just a great, great from from the you know the great period of time in the 80s when they were making these movies and you had the masters like tom savini and that back in their heyday man everybody yeah fuck yeah george romero directing it yet stephen king writing it my god you know it's like a superhero team of like all the you know then all the great actors you know i mean it was like they had everything in this movie and they and they delivered george romero delivered and this this is like a such a treat to watch, and I a nine wouldn't do it justice. It's a solid ten. It's a solid home run right out of the park. I love it, and uh, that's I, I love this movie. I, I do. Oh, I do too. This when I think of quintessential George Romero, I think of this. I know a lot of people uh, say that Night of the Living Dead is the all-time classic horror movie of all time, and I'm not knocking it in its classic cult status, but when I think of quintessential fucking George Romero, this is it. Um, obviously, I give it a ten. If I could, I'd give it an eleven on the scale from one to ten. <laughs> you right. know, it's that good. It's it, it like he's like you said, it knocks it out of the park. It, it really was the culmination of three greats of horror: Savini, Romero, and Stephen King. They got together on this. There was no stopping them, and they, they like you said, they knocked it out of a park. Uh, Leslie Nielsen is great. Hal Holbrook is great. Uh, Stephen King, for all intents and purposes, is pretty good as Jordy Verrill. You know, he plays the role well. Uh, Adrian Barbeau, Tom Atkins, it was just the culmination of great acting, writing, direction, and effects. Solid rock, like you said, rock solid 10 out of 10. Uh, they don't come any better than this. You know, uh, I'm not saying that there may not one day be an, an anthology film that will surpass this and be better, but that movie, in my opinion, has yet to be made. I agree, 100%. But yeah, when I think of uh, effective uh, horror anthologies, Creepshow takes the number one spot at the top of that list. It, uh, 
I will take any and all suggestions from ones maybe that I haven't seen, but if, I, I, like I said, I feel like the the anthology to beat this is yet to, yet to be made. I agree 100%. I, I, they may be out there and they may be great, and we may have seen them, but we're still. I'm still going to come back to this one as the all time. This is the this is the heavyweight champion of uh, these movies of these of these uh, anthology movies like this. It was it, it hit every note, everything you know, and it, I, I can't yeah, see it's it. abso- absolute Make perfection, it. pretty much as perfect yep. as a film can be. Yep, absolutely. Well. I think we have exhausted every resource we possibly could. Probably about Creep Show, we could have uh, we, we could have made a show uh, about each and every segment of this. And hell, maybe one day we'll really break it down and do uh, you know episodes of just devoted to each chapter of this. Maybe right. one day when we run out of other other movies to re- that we want to review. But I want to thank you so much for joining me for George Romero Appreciation Month. I. I knew I could entice you with at least one of his movies because I know we're pretty much on the same page with a lot of these things. And uh, Creepshow was a perfect movie for us to to do on this one. So I appreciate you taking uh, a couple hours out of your uh, busy evening to come on my show. I also want to thank all the listeners for uh, tuning in once again for George Romero Appreciation Month. And uh, there's still some some more films to come. There's some more out there that are in the ether that have been recorded but haven't been released yet. But this will this will be a, a, a good thing. I think the fact that there wasn't a George Romero Appreciation Month, you know, for podcasting, and that there needs to be one. Right. Well, on that being good said... Dream. Being said, I think uh, we had uh, helped secure a little bit of George's uh, legacy here this evening. So I want to thank you, Tom, for coming on, and we'll have you back on here again. Well, thank you, Cameron. It was a pleasure as always, and uh, thank you. It was an honor to do Creep Show and George Romero. Uh, you will never be forgotten. You were great. And uh, as far as what you've done in your career, uh, you know, I mean, you're a legend, and we love you. And and uh, you know it's great to have these movies to go back to and watch and and yeah. recognize how great you you were and uh, and uh, that's it really. So that's what he's I got. Think. He's got a legacy that will not be forgotten. Uh, not any fucking time soon. That yeah, is, my friend. That is. Yeah, you know, when when legends and horror what was a phrase that was coined. Uh, George Romero was the man. <laughs> I I couldn't agree more, my friend. Alrighty, well, folks, once again, thank you for listening to Cinema Degenerations. This has been George Romero Appreciation Month. We'll see you back here for the next chapter. Good evening. Bye!